Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise and at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Join the Sleaze! We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for over two years. Yeah. So I, I I think we were getting near 60-plus, uh, maybe, even yeah. bonus episodes. So for anyone who so. hasn't made the jump, there's over 60 of them waiting for you. Plus with uh, the we, bonus transmissions as well. So. It, yeah, and including bonus transmissions, there's there's about 70-plus, because we are talking about new release genre movies. Uh, yeah. Not that there's too many coming out, but the ones that are coming out online, we're <laughs> talking about Whatever we can get our all. hands on. <laughs> um, so again, if that interests you at all, patreon.com slash podcast. And speaking of which, we did have a lot of people make the jump this week, so I'm going to kind of rip through them a little quickly, Beautiful. just because there's so many. Um, but uh, thanks to Dog Guy. Awesome. Yep. Uh, Aaron, uh, Rational J Centrist, uh, <laughs> Daniel Butler, Nicholas Tinoco, uh, Nathan Schrosphere, uh, Philip Sick, Nate James, holy crap, this is still going, uh, Spencer Bowman, Dennis Rowland, wow. uh, Pete, or Beat Pikey. Aaron Salazar, Brandon Otto, uh, Sean Karstein. Oh, that's it. There we go. Perfect. Well, right. thank you, guys. The, the, the list just kept going, so I, I was, I was, oh, couldn't was a, figure out where the end was. So thanks was awesome. so much to all of you guys. Really appreciate That's a lot it. of you signing up uh, this week. Hope you guys are enjoying those um, bonus episodes. Uh, but that's the one plug for the week. The other plug, as always, is um, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, and I, I see the stats, I know a lot of you are, scroll down to the very bottom. And give us a good old rating and review down there. It helps us climb the ranks and find new listeners over there. We appreciate that as well. Uh, but yeah, that being said, welcome back. Uh, I'm, as always, your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, guys. We are back talking more sleazy movies for you guys uh, this week. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys would have heard from us, and we did some ultra trash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we talked uh, Jorg uh, Buderite's uh, Necromantic 2 from yeah. 1991, a movie that is a sequel to a movie about necrophilia and climaxes <laughs> on a dude stabbing himself in the gut romantically until he ejaculates all over himself yeah and and uh ejaculates blood as well very, yes. very metal 
Very metal. And we paired that with uh, Splatter Naked Blood, um, <laughs> which has uh, a three-way with a sentient cactus wearing VR goggles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also features a woman eating herself with a fork and knife, including her nipple and her labia. So <laughs> it's a hell of a ride. We talked basically uh, achieving transcendence through bodily harm last week <laughs> yeah. and the uh, line between pleasure and pain. So if that interests you at all, we had a uh, special guest, uh, Sam Bodrajan on uh, last week who, who made uh, her case for those films. Um, but last week for the bonus listeners over on Patreon, uh, we talked sort of uh, class warfare horror and very two, two very uh, tonally wild movies. Uh, yeah. We talked Brian Yesna's society from 1989 alongside Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs from 1991. Both movies Jamie and I were, were quite fond of and very different looks at uh, the rich literally feeding on the poor. Yes, yeah, the, I uh, especially enjoyed, um, I mean, society is just, it, it's just awesome. I mean, it's society. If you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But The People Under the Stairs just had a really awesome uh, tone to it where it was like a, similar to Dolls, where it was like that kids movie, but in an adult uh, environment mm. kind of thing about about kids realizing you know the like the horror of gentrification so all yeah. of a sudden the horror kind of seeps into a child's point of view so yeah it was very cool to watch people under the stairs and then society anyone yeah who has uh, any <laughs> idea about the surreal last 15 minutes of of that will uh definitely be interested in that episode uh but yeah so again uh patreon.com slash these podcast that was last week's episode uh, but this week, we have a very special returning guest calling in from the We Hate Movies podcast. We have Chris Cabin. Chris, how you doing? Doing all right. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, yeah, we're doing as well as we can. We're calling in from the quarantine zone. We assume you are as well. Yes, I am. The, I've, uh, <laughs> I've been evading the plague state as best I can. <laughs> Nice. Well, I, I I think we I was trying to do the find out like exactly when we had you on last. I think it was almost exactly a year ago. I think it was around like May or June last year we had you on, and we were talking uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. We did Pumping Iron and oh, yeah. Last Action Hero. With Those you, were fun. Which Rules. was a lot of fun. Arnie plays the villain without knowing. Yeah, I yes. love that. <laughs> and we we knew that we were going to have you on again, but we were thinking because, you know, there was a new Dune movie coming out this year that you were going to come on and talk about David Lynch's Dune because I know that among people I uh, sort of follow, you seem to like that film a lot more than others do, and I wanted that case to be made. I've still never seen it, still never read the yeah, book. Yeah, me neither, actually. It, um, but I was very excited to talk about that, and now we don't know if movies are ever coming out again. So <laughs> Ever. <laughs> We will yeah. probably have you on a third time if Dune ever decides it's going to come out. But we decided we wanted to <laughs> to have you on just in case that doesn't happen and they scrap Dune and they go into reshoots for the next five years. Who knows? Um, yeah. <laughs> turns into an HBO Max series. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but, Chris, as it goes, we have you, uh, the guests bring on the films and we kind of let you wild out this week. So what three films have you brought on with you this Hell week? Hell yeah. And These are why... Why do they pair together? <laughs> uh, these are the Hooper Cannon films, man. Uh, I love these movies. Um, this is to me such a, 
after all the rigmarole of, you know, is it Spielberg or Hooper who's to, uh, gets the credit for uh, Poltergeist? It's so incredible just to watch him do big movies for once because he didn't do it after this and he mm-hmm. didn't really do it before this other than Poltergeist. Um, right. It, it's kind of a vision of what it's like to really give a, a, a director who um, built all on indie and like, his first uh, run out of the gate was this total mess. I mean, it was a huge hit. Poltergeist was humongous, but like the, the, the credit of it and his, uh, um, what's the word work in it was always questioned where these yeah. are his, these are out absolutely his. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I love about him is that it, there's, you know, after this spontaneous combustion's interesting. And I actually have a lot of love for the mangler. Um, but, Otherwise, this is to me the last run of where he was really doing what he wanted to do. Interesting. See, I've been I've been thinking about checking out some of his like mid two thousands output and stuff like that, just to kind of see what he was doing. Like something like the Toolbox Murders seems sort of like interesting, <laughs> but I have like really no idea. So it was really awesome that you decided to bring um, these ones on because uh, we actually just did like we hadn't done Hooper like until like three months ago we were like really putting it off and we someone finally brought on texas chainsaw and then we decided to do eaten alive in the fun house as an episode as well so anyone who hasn't heard our previous discussions on hooper you can find them they're very recent um and we had a great time with eaten alive in the fun house and then when you said yeah can i bring in all of the films he made after those three we were like yeah all right <laughs> we're, we're we are prepared for that yeah um so and 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 the three titles if i'm correct they're life force mm-hmm. uh 1985 invaders from mars 1986 um and texas chainsaw 2 also from 1986 so That's he must crazy. have shot these really fucking fast uh, invaders from mars and texas chainsaw massacre were like he was he was doing pre-production on texas chainsaw while he was editing like invaders from mars Mm-hmm. Wow. I actually have a funny, funny story about that because I was watching some of the special features on the Texas Chainsaw um, Scream Factory Blu-ray and they had a thing with the editor and his story about uh, he edited Invaders from Mars and basically saved Invaders from Mars. And then Toby Hooper was like, yeah, you can also edit Texas Chainsaw, too. <laughs> Thanks for saving my movie. <laughs> yeah. So it's it, either way, there's there's some interesting connections because Canon, obviously, the production company we've talked about many times. Um, they, you know, offered, uh, Hooper the three picture deal. And I assume it came at the cost of, he had to do a Texas chainsaw sequel. I don't know that for sure, but that seems like the most, like, um, like the one that Canon would be the most, they would want the most out of him. You think that's um, part of the reason that it, it kind of turns into like a, I don't want to say like a parody, but it's, it's so cartoonish and, and less like, uh, less pure horror than the first one. Yeah. There's definitely a little bit of Hooper, uh, knew he didn't want to just do what he did the first time again. Yeah. And that, yeah. and he was definitely feeling a little bit after, because, because also it came last after doing life force or invaders from Mars, which had some, I wouldn't say production troubles, but like he definitely got a better look at what making movies with money inside of a system looks like. Yep. He was definitely getting a little bit more cynical about that by the time he made Texas Chainsaw 2 and just the way that you market and sell uh, horror and entertainment in that kind of way. And yeah. I, I think that's something you see is in the text of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Yeah. Uh, is his, his, his distaste and cynicism about the, yeah. his work at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, this is a really awesome 
period of Toby Hooper's career. And Chris is right that this is like the basically the middle chapter and the one chapter of his career where he was getting like big money to make movies like life force is like an expensive movie that they, they thought they were asking, like they asked Hooper to make a blockbuster with that one. <laughs> and that's what he did. I love it. Yep. Can't Canon thought that this was going to be like their star Wars or something. <laughs> <laughs> they thought that a lot. Hell yeah. As it turns out. <laughs> yeah. Anytime that they're like space, it's all, it's the next star Wars. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but that being said, I think we are going to just jump right into it. So we're going to start here with uh, Life Force. Life Force. Close your eyes. I visited you how? In my mind. Let it go! It's already spreading. You didn't stop it, it's too late. Come, be with me. Life Force. The terror has just begun. All right, we are talking Life Force, the 1985 uh, British science fiction horror film directed by Toby Hooper. And written by, obviously, uh, Dan O'Bannon, as well as uh, Don Jacoby. For anyone who hasn't seen the film, it uh, loosely follows a uh, bunch of astronauts on the space shuttle uh, called the Churchill. Because uh, they're British. <laughs> and <laughs> that's, that's it. Uh, who happen to um, be investigating a, uh, a ship that they find... Near, I think they call it Halley's Comet. Halley's yeah. Comet, yeah. Halley's Comet. Is it? Yeah. Um, and they find a uh, space shuttle there that's something like 150 uh, meters wide, and they're kind of freaking out about it. And on board, they find some uh, very naked, very frozen in time, uh, human-looking aliens who may also be vampires who want to suck people's literal life force out using beams and kickstart an apocalypse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Good Absolutely. simple yep. film. <laughs> and I love nailed it. And I, I guess they start right off the bat with like them the one astronaut like clearly expresses uh physical attraction to Matilda May in this way that he's just <laughs> like I think he says something like uh, uh I've been in space for so long she looks absolutely perfect. And uh I do, I do like the, the set of the tone, like them floating into this like artery tube, you know, into the lair and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's got a very cool uh, aesthetic for the first, um, especially for like the first 15 minutes because it's, it's purely in space. And that was, it was really impressive, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it should be noted right off, right off the bat, obviously, that this was written by Dan O'Bannon, who was also the writer oh, yeah. of Alien. Beautiful. And also, yeah. you know, things like Total Recall. He also, um, th- this has a little bit of similarity with uh, John Carpenter's Dark Star as well from 1974, which uh, was it actually predates Alien as kind of like the blue collar in space kind of idea that they have going on there. Oh, cool. It's very um, goofy. It's a really goofy movie. That's it's what very I goofy, it. though. Yeah, yeah it's oh, clearly yeah. a film student's movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, something the thing- I found interesting, too, though, just in the, the title sequence, like in the opening credits, 
the uh, the score is very um, very grand and and big and kind of uh, gives me like this adventure feel rather than than horror. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting because it starts with that tone, and then in the throughout the middle, I mean, I get a pretty much pure science fiction horror vibe. And then at the end, it also ends with this kind of like. Adventure it goes back to like an action adventure fantasy yeah, aspect yeah. to it. I, I didn't well, that, mind it. it that's when feel... you can sense the canon wants him to make a sci-fi blockbuster. They literally yeah, yeah. gave him so much money, and they were like, "We we think that this is going to be like, uh, you know." I mean, I think they said that they approached Michael Winner at one point to make this. So I don't even think they intended this to be horror at one point. Because oh, Michael okay. Winner is not particularly a horror filmmaker, mm-hmm. as we know. This would have been a disaster under Michael Winner. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my God. I can't even like, I didn't know that. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> the, the score is Mancini and like, like it's interesting that he got this collection of people to do this movie or that Canon also got the, these people to do this. Like this is the guy who did charade in the pink Panther. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. He also did, um, uh, Touch of Evil. That's yep. the one I was thinking of. Yeah. So I was like, he he's done like a he's done like classical Hollywood scores and stuff like that. Yeah, that's the vibe it gave me for sure. And I found it interesting that contrast is very. Um, I, I mean, it ended up kind of working for me because I guess once it sets in with that first fifteen minutes, it like kind of starts as the space adventure, but then it just mm-hmm. kind of slowly goes into the horror as the aliens start to do more things. So it was it was well, cool. And it, and 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 Hooper was given obviously like a bunch of seventy millimeter um, film stock to actually like make this on, which is a- absolutely insane. The fact that there are seventy millimeter prints that exist of this like out in the world and people sometimes watch them is insane. I would Crazy. love to see this like that. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, there is just like a bizarre mix of like Toby Hooper who has like a low budget horror sensibility and then like this very expensive eighties sci-fi fantasy adventure thing going on. I honestly got a little bit of like, it reminded me a tiny bit of uh crull yep. uh, uh, yeah. in that it mixes sort of like sci-fi and fantasy. Like it obviously it doesn't take the fantasy to the next level of like Conan levels of fantasy or anything <laughs> like, like, like crawl does. And it doesn't go quite as like princesses and, and princes and stuff like that. Um, right. but it, 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 it does have a little bit of that goofiness sometimes, which can also be attributed to Dan O'Bannon and Hooper were huge fans of hammer horror, yeah. which you can tell that they are oh, hugely okay. riffing on what they, when they get, uh, like when they get into sort of like the dialogue talkie and the, the philosophical angle between like the cop and the scientists talking about like, um, you know, how they view death and one views it as like a tangible, um, sort of thing that needs to be solved, and the other views it as more of like a me- metaphysical, philosophical thing to explore, as like mortality is, and like so when when it was like very proper British people talking about that stuff, I was like, oh, this is not, this isn't uh, like pure horror, and it's not eighties fantasy trash anymore either. It's like something in in the middle. And then Hooper yeah. obviously also got to piss Cannon off by just throwing in as much explicit like um, sex themes into it as he could possibly fit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically confirming that it would never get a, uh, you know, like an actual blockbuster following of any kind because it's just in- inappropriate in that way. Yeah. The, the, the feeling I get with Hooper, like having this, like this cadre of talent with him, it's much, I, 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 it's similar to me, uh, Sean Connery having the entire Marine Corps with him in the rock. 
like this guy, this dirty guy who doesn't like, who's been in jail for God knows how long. And then all of a sudden he gets literally this team of like alpha squad crazy guys who are going to go into fucking the rock. Like that's the, what I kept on going back to when I think of the talent he has here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Patrick oh, Stewart too. He gets Patrick Stewart in this damn movie. Oh yeah. I forgot. Yeah, it's like his little, yeah, it's, crazy. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, it, it's a very small part and he has to just kind of, become possessed and I, I don't think i've ever seen patrick stewart not play the uh the kind of proper gentleman like the leader the very you know stoic he has it all together and to watch him just kind of like spaz out in this as he's becoming uh you know taken oh, over is awesome the blood scene is so freaking good uh that's but- one of the best images in in the film actually because that's that's one thing about hooper too is like he he was always capable of finding like even in these very like silly moments where maybe the effects don't uh hold up in certain ways he was always able to like find a really unique image and when patrick stewart has like blood leaking out of every open hole in his face and then it forms into the girl um like matilda may's sort of like space girl they don't even really give her a name that's all she is yeah (laughs) um and and then you know they're like looking at a, a a body formed out of just like liquid blood that's like sitting there. It's pretty incredible, it, and it predates um, James Cameron doing uh, the Abyss, the water, the digital water effects yep. in the Abyss, which is kind of like a similar effect. Well, that's what uh, why I don't think he gets it, why these movies are so good is because all these movies, all three of them, like you can see the work going into the visual effects still. Like yep. as he gets more into the '90s and into 2000s the cg like he can't help because of the costs he can't help but use cgi and you just the problem with that is that you never see the other than it looks terrible is that you just never see the work yeah whereas this it's very blatant like that you were like somebody had to do something crazy to allow that to happen yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and i also i love the like the design of um the once they get the life sucked out of them they have this it's it's not your like traditional looking body that has like a uh, zombie. Yeah. Yeah. Cause a, like a similar, like a, a movie that kind of does the whole thing and it does it almost just like literally. And you see it physically happen, uh, is the mummy. You remember with Brendan Fraser and the mummy yeah. goes around and he like sucks the life out of people. Uh, for that one, it seems like more of a, you know, a traditional, what it would look like as a body. But this one has this almost zombie like a uh, thing because they use, um, like animatronics or whatever. Yep. And, uh, it's, I don't know. It adds this layer of like something that isn't human and it's very, uh, very cool. Very effective. Well, and also when they start like moving around and stuff like that, like they have the animatronics, like faces opening yeah. up and like reaching yelling and, and very, screaming. Yeah. It's very great. creepy. Yeah. There's, there's very like tactile, vis- um, like visual effects that they're doing courtesy of, um, I think it was John Dijkstra, the guy who yep. was known for doing obviously star Wars, the original star Wars. Um, but also one we talked about on the show that had pretty neat visual effects, uh, Clint Eastwood's Firefox. Oh Yeah. That is an interesting a, movie. Yeah, it is he, a very he, interesting he, movie. So he did all of the jet combat stuff in that, um, and he has since become actually Tarantino's VFX guy. Oh, nice. Um, so oh. that's that's what uh, Dijkstra is up to lately. So he does a lot of very cool practical effects. And, and overall, the way that it fits into Hooper, who was very good at mixing 
um, sort of like artificial qualities into his film because like yeah. we, we talked about eating alive, but the thing that's so cool about eating alive is that it is like the most natural base setting he could have picked for a horror movie, like a swamp yep. with a, like a killer alligator. Um, and but it still looks he, like a, like a stage. He had, he, yeah. He had to shoot it on a soundstage. So yeah. instead of like trying to hide that, he basically just upped the, the surreal elements to basically be like, none of this is real in a sense, the way that you're watching it. So I can just yeah. go full primary color lighting. And that's the way that he kind of tackled space a little bit too. Like that opening scene when they're going into the ship, um, it's just, there's the very tactile ship design that is a little bit cribbed from alien. Like there's little like egg sacks and there's a little bit of like the, uh, machinery as a living organism and pipes that look like veins. And there's, you know, yeah. um, the difference is that they have like bat like creatures that are also like, kind of like floating around in it and whatnot. But when they're floating towards it, he has like this huge green primary lit artificial color all over it as the astronauts kind of like form a line and move into it. And it actually reminded me a lot of Brian De Palma's mission to Mars, yep. which basically it has like just, just this kind of very cheesy um, kind of like image making to it, but it's still very like visually arresting in terms of like the style and, and, and the scale of it. And you know, it's it's just it's 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 something that like really separates a filmmaker who knows how to work within limitations that they have. And he's like, look, this isn't going to be as expensive as other sci-fi blockbusters, even though this is probably the most expensive movie I'll ever make. Um, so let's find stylistic ways to make that look different than what you've seen before. Yeah, and um, it's it's a perfect image for the whole movie because like the outside of it, it's like it looks like Gandalf's staff. A little bit, yeah, yeah, like for it, sure. from the outside, but inside, like they, they look like they're traveling through the Vos Defrons, like that first yeah, shot yeah. of them going down the tube, and I'm like, oh, so outside there's this fantasy, like incredible image, and then inside it's like all sex, <laughs> Death. yeah, right, yeah, yeah, and then and then the rest of the rest of the movie is honestly a a bunch of horny scientists who start the apocalypse because yep. they just really want to have sex with the alien vampire zombie girl. <laughs> Yeah, like that's literally the rest of the movie. Yeah. Is that she is is everyone looks at her and is like, "Damn!" And then <laughs> yeah. she uses that uh, to her advantage and sucks the life out of them and turns them into zombies and then starts the zombie apocalypse with the end goal of, I guess, like sucking everyone's soul and at least all and of London doing something or other. <laughs> the sequences too, when she just starts like we start to see her go to like parks and stuff, and and they'll show up after where you know she sucked the life out of a body or whatever. It kind of reminded me as we were following her every once in a while of uh, Under the Skin a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 and, bit, yeah, and it was cool. I think I, I mean it wouldn't surprise me if that movie took you know inspiration from this because I mean Alien. Going around town, sucking the life out of people, you know that An kind alien of thing. Succubus, using yeah. the, using the their you know sexual desires to do so. So yeah, that was that was really interesting and cool to see that. Mm-hmm. And and a, a little bit of um, the Terminator with uh, how they always show up like naked and walking oh, around. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. She's always walking around naked like that for sure. Um, but I, I, I one thing I like is just how absolutely like crazy Hooper went with the sexual elements to the point where they can't even stop talking about it. Yeah. Like, they, like, like all they do is they like they're, they're, they're horny and like that's overtly in the text is that she is a succubus using that against them. But at the same time, they have so much regret over being horny at the same time or, and the way that they like try to like vocalize their experience. Like the one guy who's like, 
that is the most overwhelmingly effeminate presence I have ever encountered. <laughs> yeah. And then they were like, was it sexual? And he's like, yes, overwhelmingly so. It was I horrible. Just lost control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's like when he's like, it was horrible. Like, cause it, like, as he's, you know, explaining it, we've seen the bad, so obviously we know, but if you were to just like explain it, it was just like, he was so attracted, you know, she was so beautiful. And then at the end, just like, Putting that little asterisk, it's just, but it was Ruining his just life. fucking yeah. horrible. Yeah, it was the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah, that's that uh, the, the post climax shame he's getting there. Yeah, ex- yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, but but she eventually escapes the lab that they were they were holding her in, where the scientists and the military were kind of holding her in, um, and starts in infecting the world. And they get so hung up on like the one guy is very so attracted to her he and so sort of like upset about how attracted to her he is that he's like, I feel like I need to be the one to take her down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they, and, and they, they're, they're so focused on that. They forget about the two other guys who can also do the same thing, which ends up spreading the apocalypse. Yeah. And, and there is just some funny images of just like military guys, like machine gunning these two naked space vampire men and like riddling them with holes as they, yeah, like, they light to, like, them walk up forward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And also the, those animatronics of like the walking skeleton corpses that are like barely alive, like moving around. And it reminded me a little bit of bursting um, into dust. That was great too. The bursting into dust is a really cool effect, but when they're still alive, it gave me that same feeling of like uh, that that one guy he finds in Seven who has all the fucking oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Good call. Um, car uh, fresheners hanging in there and has been just like barely kept alive. Yeah, they look so close to death. Like that's the design. Yeah. yeah. John, John C. McGinley might have shown up in this and said, oh, fuck, he's alive. <laughs> oh, fuck, he's alive. <laughs> I mean, the thing with the, I mean, what I really love about, like, he doesn't, like, the sexuality isn't, he doesn't, you know, a lot, this movie gets a lot of uh, claims of sexism because of, obviously, she's naked for most of it, (laughs) even though I didn't find uh, the shooting particularly erotic until towards the end. Um, I I thought it was kind of a little more sterile on that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the idea, like when he goes to see Patrick Stewart uh, at the a hospital while they're looking for him, and he just starts making out with Patrick Stewart, <laughs> yeah, because he thinks <laughs> she's that that's her. Well, he knows that it's her at that point. But like, I'm like, oh Jesus! Like, it's just like sexual obsession. Like, yeah. it has nothing to do with like. Uh, it's not just uh, Matilda May. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. It has you know, and that's why I was like. It was funny to me because I had forgotten that that is the twist that uh, the two guy, the two uh, uh, male aliens are uh, doing all the destruction back home. Because it is yeah. a weird thing. Like you would think they would almost like those two guys who shoot the guys might have been attracted to them too. Right. Yeah, true. That was my first thought, but that didn't. That it's funny that they do it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and also they have her sort of like explicate it too that like. Her entire visual existence is also entirely projection. Yeah, is yeah, that she yeah. she is actually a shapeshifter, and mm. she goes into their their heads, and she talks about how the image that she's taken was completely ripped from um, their minds. I think she says, "I took shape from your mind. I became the woman in your deepest mind. I am the feminine inside you." Yeah. Is is the mm. line that 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 she gets. Um, so, like, again, it is just, like, these extremely horny men's projections 
that they are letting ruining themselves and ruin the world <laughs> at the same time. So like if like if they didn't have these sexual hangups about the situation, they would be like they would probably be handling a little bit better, maybe not entirely better. We we we've seen a lot of horror movies about how the military handles uh, science fiction uh, horror experiences, but <laughs> they would definitely be less distracted. <laughs> yeah, that might help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is you, definitely built into the character experience that we're watching. Well, yeah, and the, the you couldn't ask for a better avatar than Steve Railsback, who is just really good at expressing like trauma and sexual like dysfunction in his brain and obsession. Like he just mm. has that, like I, I forget uh, it's Dwayne something in the X-Files, but he's a major part of the X-Files. Um, mm. And I mean, it's also what makes him completely, <laughs> whenever they try to put him in anything where he's not playing a character like this, it just doesn't work. Like there's, there's this ET ripoff called Nuki that he did. And it's just, he's so wrong because he's doing this kind of performance again in a mm. kid's movie, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> But I love him in this. I think he's so perfect to be able to express what the character is going through. And I think Hooper really locked onto that. Oh, def- definitely. And I, I think that, like, we've, we've talked about how it kind of has, like, these three different genre elements that Hooper is kind of switching between a little bit. But I think that also makes some of, like, the um, sex elements, like, a little bit more shocking. Because, like, when, when he's doing the hammer horror vibe a little bit on Earth, he's doing, like, this classy British vampire movie a little bit, and then he just th- starts throwing in, like, uh, succubus boobs and sci-fi trash <laughs> elements and, like, yeah. a, a bats being stabbed by giant iron swords yeah. and zombie yeah. gore. Like it gets super fantastical own... at, a, at a certain point. Like, it's just, yeah, it's it... not even really, like, science fiction. It's just, like, uh, it's pure fantasy in that in that regard yeah hooper took like all these different genres and was like what if i just spent all of canon's money to do like a bizarre like sex and death exploitation riff basically where patrick stewart's uh like blood literally transforms into a beautiful woman yeah Uh, and then uh our heroes have a giant laser beam shooting out of a cathedral where there is a giant bat creature who needs to be stabbed to death with specifically a giant iron sword Sword. like straight out of conan or something that's what yeah Uh, that's what i'm saying it really does look like something out of conan or something along those lines for sure or Beastmaster or any of those kind of things you know well yeah and and frank finley plays the the like head scientist or whatever and he's he gets infected and he starts uh, becoming a little bit more like curious about like what this post vampire succubus existence is gonna look like and and he starts becoming a little bit romantic about it he has a big monologue near the end where he talks about how perfect it is that it's like the crypt of kings and and queens and i i think uh that's that's when he gets shot by by steve rails and he's very excited to be like here i go and be he gets sort of like added to the pile of bodies and souls that are sort of like feeding um her and again seeing like all this like when he grabs that sword and gets in the car and starts driving through like downtown london and there's all these like miniatures and explosions and 70 millimeter like photography of like this apocalyptic situation and i think one guy on the radio even says london is on is on the brink of the worst devastation since the blitz there's martial law like things like this and i was like this is like the biggest thing hooper had to have attempted yeah Oh, for sure. And like he gets the chaos of it so right. 
Like, yeah. he's not trying to curtail it or anything. Like, you can tell he just wanted absolute chaos to be on screen. And that's I, I, what I think another thing that these three movies share is a, a, a real ability to express through images the feeling of madness. And mm-hmm. of not of just, like, social madness, but also, like, of rails back and uh, uh, the other, like, what, uh, Finley, too. I mean, that scene with him, uh, is, is it with Firth or is it with rails back that he's, is it? I can't remember. I feel it, like it's it, it, Firth. Uh, yeah, it, it might actually be Firth because Railsback, I think, is the one. He ends up stabbing himself with her, right? He's the one who's at the cathedral yes. with her. And Firth oh, right. is the um, detective who I, I think got, would be the one who shoots Finley heavy, and, and grabs the sword to go and help Railsback. Yeah, heavy duty um, Hayden and Sellers and Dr. Strangelove feeling for me in that scene. Yes, I got that heavy because especially with like the apocalypse going on in the background, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a red sky helps. in the back. So I mean, I, it's those scenes. I think any other director would just try to get through and you can tell he really wants to give weight to this. Yeah, 100 mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, because he, he, he's definitely interested in not just like what is physically being done by the aliens, but he's yeah. very interested in people's like psychotic reaction to it. And like, there's a lot of like intense in always Hooper movies. There's always these intense close-ups of these sweaty people who get a little bit uh, out of their minds or get a little bit uh, sort of like absurd in some of their performances, um, which many people do in, in this, but maybe more so in some of the ones we're going to talk about later. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It, it just, but I, but I, but I, 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 I was really taken though by how visually insane this gets with the laser beam coming in. He drilled the giant fucking bat creature who's there. I like how when he was walking they... up the like courthouse stairs or whatever, there's just like bodies just just everywhere on the staircase. Like yeah. like there's yeah. a lot of destruction and chaos around by the end of it. I think at one point a bus blows up and then you see like three people just on fire just running around and shit. Like it's just it's it's just chaotic. Uh, very yeah, and, entertaining. And, and that this does end uh, in a very cathartic uh, penetration image of <laughs> Railsback uh, impaling her and himself with the sword. Yeah. Uh, and kind of like letting uh, like the beam of light get sort of like infected by that act and then going up to the ship and like exploding and just just absolutely fucking crazy uh especially because again all of the imagery actually is sort of like previously set up and makes sense um in the story that we're watching but also the fact that again hooper was sort of promising canon that this was going to be you know sort of like a blockbuster adventure story so like the very traditional orchestral soundtrack that gets (laughs) put on all this during that stuff yeah It's like they because it starts with that and ends and with you're that. Kinda like, and that, that was not the vibe of the characters. Yeah, that uh, wrap up is so funny that. to me. Like it was like if, to me because I mean obviously they did it because they just had to set the tone and I guess you know Canon was like this is what we want. But for me, I got to read it as Toby just kind of like I tricked you, right? That was an adventurous, just traditional science fiction movie. Here's that score that tells you that right here. I we just, had a great time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> wrapped it up neatly. <laughs> No weirdness. It was great. <laughs> it's also, I think, uh, Alan Hume is an MVP for Canon. He he shot this and he shot uh, Runaway Train, which is incredible. If you haven't seen it, I've never seen Runaway Train. I've not. No. Oh man! If you ever watch an, not if you ever want to not hate John Voight, watch that movie <laughs> for just a little bit. I mean, you, you you should hate him and everything, but like for one minute, if you just want to not hate him, he's so fucking good in that movie. 
I didn't know Hume also did Return of the Jedi. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense that yep. Canon hired him for this. <laughs> did some Bond movies too, which kind of fits into the London, you know, Hammer thing. True. Makes sense. Yeah, I've, I've also never seen um, Legend of Hell House, but that's one I've been meaning to watch for like a long time. Me too. I have never seen that one. Uh, I, I just watched John Hughes' The Incubus with John Cassavetes not too long ago. It's a weird <laughs> the one, rape right? Demon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Either way, no need to digress into that. I think we should pivot to our reductive sure. rating round before we start talking about John Cassavetes doing SVU for the uh, <laughs> Rosemary's Baby Satan character. Um, <laughs> Sounds uh, but, interesting. Yeah, but oh, it's definitely something we're going to talk about at some point. It, it's a Vinegar Syndrome film. I just picked it up on their sale randomly and last gotcha um but um yeah this this one uh life force i gotta say this one gets like the decent four from from me i think it's just an awesome um artifact that you know at one point toby hooper like an absolute madman was actually given like serious money to make a 70 millimeter science fiction blockbuster (laughs) And he was given at least enough freedom to turn in whatever the hell he wanted because he did. And he brings all of his, uh, you know, low budget horror sensibility and tries to merge it a little bit with what he's been asked to make and sort of like the 80s fantasy adventure stuff that he's doing there. But then he also gets to go back to his Hammer Horror roots, which is something um, he just talks about a lot that he grew up watching Hammer Horror films. So he was very excited to throw some of that in. Um but then also to turn it into a very explicit uh, sex and death exploitation horror film at the same time with like a sexy space vampire succubus uh, sucking light beams out of people and zombie uh, creatures running around getting shot at and giant fucking bats both suspended in space and trying to kill people inside of a, you know, London cathedral. And like, it's just yeah. like, as soon as you start describing things that happened in this movie, it it's more insane than it even sort of like feels like watching it, which I guess is like maybe a credit to Hooper that somehow you don't like your brain doesn't melt watching this movie. Like it, like it does actually make some semblance of, of sense. Like the logic yeah. of the movie is there. Oh, yeah. uh, despite the fact that as soon as I feel like I pitch this to someone, they'll be like, what the hell are you <laughs> <What>? talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so it's very weird as hell and I I got nothing to respect it and also it's it's very horny but also very regretfully horny yeah. which is uh, yeah. a very interesting state of mind to be in while being vampire zombie uh, bats and swords and stuff so credit to Hooper on that yeah I would uh, I'd also give it a four uh, it's pretty strong for me I just had a, a blast with this just the the amount of places that this goes is is truly unbelievable uh, to, you know starting off in space just having those awesome uh, images of of the the astronauts just floating through it uh, and going through the artery and all that and then leading to more of a you know what like that traditional kind of 80s stuff where we see the the zombies and the bursting into dust and and then uh, watching, <laughs> just watching all these men be hopelessly hypnotized by Matilda May, which I completely understand, uh, <laughs> is just endlessly entertaining. And and then we get the wrap up, which it just goes so many places. And to, once again, to have that that very traditional score to open and close close it with all this <laughs> with all this in between is just so funny to me. And uh, and yeah, I, I I love Toby Hooper. My God, he's just a just a wild man. So four out of five for sure. 
Yeah, it's it's the same for me. I I I, I think this is a perfect movie for, for like Poltergeist, which I do I do really like that movie. But this to me, it's the fact that it is based on such a primitive idea, and like, but you also have this huge budget and this like all this shit going on on top of it. Uh, it, it is perfect for what he was transitioning into at the time, like from yeah. very primitive productions made on no money to this humongous, like he is at once, you know, paying homage to everything that came before with him while also trying to go to the next level. And he, he kind of pisses everybody off by doing it. <laughs> I can't help but love it. Like I really can't help. I mean, it's an entertaining as hell too. That should be said, but I, I, to me, it's so perfect for what he was going through at the time. Yeah, and was this a was this a hit? By the way, I didn't know if we mentioned that. I like, did people enjoy this? Like, general audience members enjoy this when it came out? I I, I don't think it was a hit no. based okay. on how much it cost. It it, it did <laughs> gotcha. okay. Gotcha. Like it 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 actually didn't. It wasn't like the like the the worst movie that's ever opened at the box office by far. But it was up until this point. Toby Hooper's most expensive movie. I'm pretty sure. I think it was like six or seven million dollars or something like that. Okay. Um. So it was very expensive for him and for Canon. And I mean, we will talk about it at a certain point. But like, Canon was very close to going bankrupt, and they did go bankrupt in what, like, two years later yeah, after this. Oh, oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> might have been Hooper's, Toby. Yeah, Hooper's. Uh, well, we got some other films to credit for that as as well. Oh, in a little bit of Canon's own. Um, uh, d- decision making at a, at a certain point. <laughs> well, we're actually we're, we've tied in another episode on canon movies for oh, next I week, gotcha. where we are actually going to talk about for sure yep. the end of canon. Uh, <laughs> you talk about like later era Bronson and Norris stuff. No, we're going to be talking about uh, Cyborg. Oh boy! <laughs> and uh, Cyborg exists literally because they were going bankrupt and they literally just reused costumes from like other productions that they were supposed to be oh, doing. Wow. I think they were, I think, I think they were supposed to be doing a masters of the universe and Spider-Man live action films. Yeah. And they lost the rights at the last minute after having built all of the costuming and sets for them. And then they were like, Holy shit, we need to repurpose this into another movie instantly yeah so they basically had albert like look at all of the costumes and stuff and were like can you write something that uses these (laughs) yes didn't didn't they also put albert on um uh, the the unfinished journey to the center of the earth that they were trying to do yes he got like half of it done and then they just went bankrupt oh man yep yeah, they, they had him working on a Johnny Guitar remake with John Travolta at that time, too. <laughs> oh, man. I would die to see that. Oh, yeah, wow. So, Canon, this is, I think, around the time that Canon maybe was making some, uh, some interesting decisions that weren't paying off and maybe some bad decisions at the same time. And within basically two years, they would go bankrupt based on some of these movies. Uh, Invaders from Mars might have been part of that. I didn't see how much money that one that one made. It doesn't look like very much. I don't think so. Uh, no. But I imagine Texas Chainsaw must have done okay. I think it both this and I think Life Force and Texas Chainsaw Massacre two did, you know, okay. Did enough. Like uh, probably broke even, maybe. But like Invaders from Mars was definitely the the outlier here. Gotcha. Well, and also we should keep in mind that it's because they also they were giving Toby Hooper like real money, like more <laughs> money than he had ever been given to make stuff. Like, like later things like what they would give Albert, like Albert was there for 
you know, like the five, the less than a million dollar productions that they could, you know, make money on because they had like Van Damme or Chuck Norris in it or something. Right, right. Um, whereas Hooper, this was the most, some of the most expensive productions they ever did. Invaders from Mars actually, I think, is the most expensive, which we're, oh, uh, wow. speaking of which, we, sh- we should probably uh, jump on into. It's a good segue. Let's so uh, let's, uh, let's, let's move along here. We're going to talk next Invaders from Mars. Because something strange is happening to the people of Willow Creek. Everything's fine now. And David Gardner is about to find out why. David! I'm going to find my mom and dad! David Gardner! Canon Films presents... Toby Hooper's Invaders from Mars. There's no place on Earth to hide. All right, we are back and we are talking Invaders from Mars, the 1986 uh, American science fiction horror film directed by Toby Hooper and also written by Dan O'Bannon and Don Jacoby. Damn! (laughs) (laughs) He he reused uh, a lot of the same crew. Uh, He even brought back uh, John uh, Dijkstra to do a lot of the special effects again, Uh, but he also included this time Stan Winston because he had some very important creature effects that needed to go into making this film, which we're going to talk about the reasons why. So he needed the guy who worked on Aliens, Terminator, and Predator. And known for doing a lot of the creature effects for those films uh, to come on and make the creatures that he was going to work on for this one. But for anyone who hasn't seen Invaders from Mars, it is um, a remake of the classic 1950s science fiction film, which I haven't seen. And I honestly haven't heard a whole lot about other than that. Like it's the plot is loosely similar, but it sounds like uh, Toby took it in some more like real horror direction, especially with the way that he shows um, a lot of the aliens sounds like yeah. the original in a lot of fifties ways is just like a little bit campier. It's a little bit of like sort of like the fifties blob versus the eighties yes. blob. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. I, I just watched the original uh, last night actually for the first time. It's uh, di- uh, done by Menzies, who did Things to Come. That's on Criterion. It's a really okay. good little movie. Um, it's you know the original is very funny. Like it, it, it's trying to be more humorous and like oh gee Williker, I'm being shot at. <laughs> um, kind of stuff, and you know, I, I kind of it, it's enjoyable for what it is. But this, I mean, this is one of those movies where I'm like, they, I, I, and I know people don't like this the the remake that much, but it is to me much better than the original. Interesting. Well, I could I could see that because like I am of the mind that the Blob Chuck Russell's Blob remake is like way way better than the original yeah. Blob, and I could see this being a similar situation, just where you get like you know like these these sort of like just sort of pump up those those horror elements in ways that is like a little bit more tangible. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like that's a really important part because Toby Hooper here is very clearly making um, in, in sort of, uh, similar to what we've talked about before with things like dolls and things like um, uh, people under the stairs. Like he has made a, what, what kind of works as a children's adventure story, nope. but he has thrown in like just real deal horror elements that come from, you know, someone like a madman like Toby Hooper, who has like right. a, a very overactive imagination in that way. And um, 
again, you get a little bit of tonal clashing there, which is, I think, some probably something that people kind of re- reject about it in some ways. But I don't know. That's never really bothered me in, I always in the like same it. way that it seems to do other yeah. people. The so. more that I, the more that I watch these kind of movies where it's like the the kids movie that's rated R kind of vibe. Uh, I like them. I really enjoy the the, the tonal contrast. I, I feel like it uh, it kind of gives you that that vibe of like when you're a kid and you're watching something you shouldn't be watching. That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I really yeah I really like it. Yeah, I like the I'm, I like the fact that it's very uh, it, it takes the um, the terror and the uh, uncertainty of like change in family. Uh, in society as 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 actually terrifying and actually like uh destabilizing for the kid yeah. that's like very the, rare when he starts to uh it is kind of scary to like watch him start to be extremely uncomfortable with his dad where it's like and then eventually his mom as well it's it's because you know the parents when you're at that age obviously are your only uh kind of source of protection and normalcy or whatever and when they're acting as if you know what well, they're aliens uh, it's, it's definitely an uncomfortable thing. And I think they express that pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has a little bit of that, that, that body snatchers kind of element where like right. there are aliens and in human bodies and they're people, you know, and you kind of have to wrestle with the sort of like surreal quality of like feeling like you don't know who you're talking to, even if they're right. literally like you're you know, your closest family member, like your father. Yeah. Um, and for anyone who, who hasn't seen it, 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 it does loosely follow a boy whose home is invaded by these like uh, giant tentacle brain meatballs with legs, <laughs> uh, aliens <laughs> who take over the minds of, uh, people, you know, and, in, in, including like people at his school, um, and he finds, uh, the boy is kind of like the only person who sort of like realizes what's happening here and slowly reveals to sort of like a school nurse at school and eventually the, uh, U S Marines <laughs> that there is something nefarious, uh, taking place here that they are kind of, uh, un- uncertain about. There's something unknowable out there, but it's, it, it's dark and scary. And what's interesting, uh, about Hooper's approach to this is that, I mean, I don't know, and I don't think any of us know, or we'll probably never know what it is that happened on Poltergeist. There's endless debate over the Spielberg produced horror film that Toby Hooper directed that apparently Spielberg and Hooper had, uh, very different sensibilities on the way that the movie should go. But Neither of them being, uh, I, I, I guess both of them being professionals, we'll never talk about it. So <laughs> we will never figure out exactly what happened on that movie. But this is the closest I've seen ever to someone doing an overt parody of Spielberg. Yeah. So I'm very curious if this is if this was Hooper getting that out of his system. Because <laughs> like this is, in terms of sort of like the... Um, scenes of sort of like the domestic American family in a science fiction, uh, reality, uh, you know, it has a little bit of close encounters. It has a little bit of the, the creature feature stuff of jaws. Yeah. Uh, it has a little bit of, of the alien stuff from the kid's point of view in ET. This even has a frog classroom scene yeah. from oh, ET. He, he even steals the dolly zoom from jaws. And so I was sitting here going like, okay, uh, 
this is, and then obviously also doing the domestic family stuff and the military power stuff as well. And the only difference is that his aliens aren't cute and the military power doesn't really seem to have a great time getting uh, rid of the alien, uh, the aliens in, in, in this one. So he's kind of merged a lot of the Spielberg, these popular sort of like American styles that Spielberg was, was honing in on and making huge and given it a little bit of a fifties B movie absurdity and a little bit of adventure. Um, and then also taking the alien creature effects as far as he could possibly take it and doing something way fucking scarier and grosser than Spielberg would ever think about doing. Well, yeah. And it's interesting that the, the military angle to me is very interesting because in the original, it's like mostly about the military. They're one, they're much more prevalent in it. That's interesting because they don't get introduced until like the back third of the movie yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 from relatively early on in the original, and the whereas you know in Spielberg, uh, military is either good guys or like very nefarious guys. Like it's one or the yeah. other thing. Uh, this like they're dumbfounded <laughs> uh, yeah. for the most part. Yeah. That's, I, I really appreciate that that they have. They're literally being led by a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that was one of my favorite parts when he just busts into the into the office and just starts to basically start to control a general of the United States Army and shit like well, that. Well, and and, and it, it's image. really funny the the way that it dramatically plays out too because he breaks in and he tells them their story and they're they basically do like the raised eyebrow like eh, well yeah. we don't know like what the fuck yeah. and then like literally uh, the aliens blow up their Mars rocket. Uh, and immediately the general's like, it's fucking aliens. Kids, <laughs> yeah, right. kids <laughs> right. Gotta be the aliens. <laughs> no, let this kid look at my neck. Go ahead. Look at my neck, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that's a great time. Um, but the, the thing I think that like really works for me about this one, because I, I do think that there, there is something like that, he's kind of being a little bit intentionally a little bit derivative of like some of the stuff that Spielberg would do, but he's just, he's making slight subversions in a way in a very humorous way, which is I think what he's angling to do because at, at this point he does seem a little bit jaded about making movies with money um, and other people who find success making things that he kind of finds are like a little bit sillier. And so it seems like he's almost intentionally heightening the silliness in a way that people I don't think really appreciated, but it seems like Hooper is doing it intentionally. At one point there's a shot. I think it's after someone gets eaten by one of the aliens and one of the aliens, the other aliens in the background start to laugh like they're like right and it's just like that gave me such a campy like comedy vibe in that regard it's it's definitely tongue-in-cheek uh in probably the whole thing really there's a lot of like wackiness to it and and that kind of stuff so yeah i think with louise fletcher is where i feel the most subversion of spielberg because you would definitely have a character like this in a spielberg movie but she would just be very stern and maybe at right. the end you might find out like, oh, she's actually kind of nice or she has this bravery to her. And like you have her eating frogs, like <laughs> looking like yeah. she's yeah. hung over all the time. And then she gets eaten by a meatball. Like, yeah, it's so perfect <laughs> to like, just be like, no, 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 no. Let's go all the way with this. 
let's yeah. follow this to the end. And then you have this like giant brain that is attached to some type of long like tentacle or something that that seems to live in a hole in the wall and like it's just the most bizarre (laughs) shit and i also love that the the creature design uh at first i thought because i think they're stationary at first i thought that they were just going to be like these just these big blobs and they are but then you see them with legs and they're actually walking around and so it's actually people (laughs) in suits and it just looks so big and bulky that it it kind of looks like you'd be incapable of having a human being in a suit like that and not having him just like roll over and (laughs) roll down one of the set hills or something like that. Uh, But that I found interesting that you have like wide shots of them actually walking around their space station and stuff. It's just such a bizarre image. This, the the brain character is my number one, number one on my list of uh, reasons why Toby Hooper, uh, Toby Hooper should have been, the guy to direct uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because his crank oh, yeah. would have been out of this world. That would have been sweet to have him do a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles it, movie. My an, God. An R-rated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where they oh. all the turtles look like, I don't know, the, the guy who gets into the waste factory in RoboCop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like you just, I, I, I can't stop thinking about this. I, have, I also have a very uh, personal connection to this movie because it was... One of the first, you know, even Hope, uh, Hooper and uh, a lot of directors talk about like the first time they saw a horror movie and like what it did to them. I remember this was one of the first like quote unquote horror movies I had seen ever. And I saw it in my uncle's basement when I was like sleeping over in Maryland. Uh, and it, he just had a TV down there and I was just watching stuff on TV. And this came on <laughs> and I remember the meatballs and that brain so clearly. Yeah. And like, I didn't find out it was a Hooper movie until I was like in my twenties. Uh, but I was mm-hmm. obsessed with this and I had these images of like, Oh my God, you can make things like that on TV. Yeah. Like, I was yeah. like, Holy crap. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> I think that's why I, I forgive this maybe more than I should technically, uh, because I, I do have such a connection to it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, Cause I was kind of watching this for the, for the first time and I definitely appreciated like a lot of, what he's going for, and especially a lot of the effects work that that uh, did. I, I especially like the detail of like the glowing little like pineal gland from from beyond yeah. that bursts out of the back of their neck that they like talk through. Yeah, yeah. like that kind of stuff like really freaks me out. That kind of like body horror. Um, and and also, uh, I really liked that the meatball blobs that walk around all have like really giant teeth. I don't know why the, the, the fact that they all have like a giant mouth, like they're like little shop of horrors. Uh, yeah, it's very much like, like that. that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I and I also appreciated too um, the, uh, the the sand pit effects that they kept doing, where people were kept getting sucked yeah, like the into whirlpool the sand, of like left sand. And right. Yeah, that's directly from the original, by the way. Uh, oh really? The sand okay. stuff is uh, you don't see like <laughs> it's essentially like they show a hole opening up in sand, and then like somebody jumps and then falls down. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, oh, they got sucked in. Oh no. <laughs> um, why uh, in the original? Why why are the Martians attacking Earth? I think it's they are Martians, right? That's what it's decided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end, like there's uh, there is a, a brain creature at the end, similar like. The, the actual, um, like, the meatballs are essentially just um, uh, day there stood still aliens. Like, they're okay. kind of just, like, they have, like, bigger eyes, but they essentially have that look to them. Um, okay. And I think, it, it, if I remember, it's just, it's a similar thing of, like, you know, 
we we need to uh, our planet has been dying and like we have to find a new one kind of thing right right and one well, and it has something to do i, I can't remember if the, I, I feel like they mentioned it in in this one that it has something to do with they also thought that the development of of like exploration rockets was like like yes. Uh, military missiles or something like that. Yeah. So like they they actually thought that like Earth was attacking first. <laughs> so that was that that that's why they blow up the rocket. I'm pretty sure in this film. Um. So we kind of added like another element. I wasn't sure if that was in the original or not because uh they, they they only briefly mentioned it in this one and it almost doesn't matter because it seemed like Cooper was trying to put in an explanation for the Martians. Yeah. yeah. Uh. And then and then but also just wanting to go in the direction of uh because like unlike. Sort of like some of the blob elements, which is about sort of like being afraid of the unknown, whereas like um, the military and sort of like a a martial law police state is like pretty much just as fucking scary. Uh, This one goes with now the aliens are really fucking scary. They're the scariest. (laughs) (laughs) Right now we need to deal with the aliens. (laughs) Yeah, aliens are actually the scariest thing. Yeah, (laughs) we don't we don't like this shit. (laughs) I mean, I think the real my only major issue with this movie is. Hunter Carlson is terrible. Uh, the, kid. the kid, the kid, is, yeah, he is, is pretty really bad. bad. Uh, and I, I'm some usually, of it like works for me because of like his like just super innocence, but his delivery at times is kind of you know a little cringy for sure. Yeah. Well, well, and I, I would say too the the one the only thing that really makes it work for me is that it does seem Hooper is being a bit tongue in cheek about yeah. his use of genre here. Exactly. Yeah. That he does seem like. Like he he's not trying to I think get like that Spielberg kid performance of something <laughs> right. a little bit more natural. It seems like he's making something that feels like that, but heightened to an absurd degree. So when the kid is like, I really liked when the kid was um, screaming at the brain yes. and the meatballs, being like, "You can't control people. It's oh, wrong." Yeah, and I will go to detention Giving every him, like, day a after school argument. for the rest of my life. <laughs> Uh, if if you like stop doing this, and then I, and then they, I think they're just laughing at him. And I no. also really thought it was I like cute that too. Yeah. That, that the that the kid the worst punishment he can imagine is that he will go to detention for the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, especially um, after he's seen like what the aliens are capable of doing too. But he's just like, no, it's fine. Like I'll just go to detention, guys. That'll be enough for you. Yeah, and 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 that's also Adorable. when he yells, "You dick brain!" Uh, <laughs> yeah. at them when he's in like their little Martian layer underneath the sand. And then that's also followed shortly after by the mean school teacher who eats frogs, uh, now being eaten by one of the meatballs. And it's the, the gag the is so good because she is just like being chomped on and her legs are sticking out and they're slowly going in <laughs> yeah. and the guy and the, and the meatball in the back is just having a blast. Just He's like, laughing. this is the funniest shit I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I love the callback to her doing the one, two, three, four, five right before she gets eaten, like oh, yeah. trying to contain control even in a place where you have no control. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the thing with Carlson is that he's just not good in like the scenes where you have to have him be dramatic, dramatically right. stable. Yeah. But yeah. like he, you're you're completely right that he is also. It's good that you have that like wandering, not sure where I am, a feel to the character in the way he talks like that. Yeah, um, and I mean, he he was uh, it, it, the the bigger thing is that he was Karen Black's son, uh, actual yeah. son <laughs> that she go. had with yeah. Kit Carlson, uh, who wrote. Um, Paris, Texas, and Texas Chain so Massacre. Oh, and I saw that he was on Paris, Texas too. Hunter Carson. I saw on his, uh, yep, like his credits or whatever. So he's definitely getting the so the roles for mom. Th- 
This kid's dad helped co-write Texas Chainsaw 2. Texas Chainsaw 2 and, uh, and yeah, Paris, Texas. Yeah, Paris, Texas made sense because that was, uh, the, the kid's also in Paris, yeah. Texas, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I had no idea that he also got brought on, so he must have just got a relationship because Hooper cast his kid. Hooper, well, Hooper yeah. and him were friends for, they were both Texas guys. Um, so oh, well, that would make sense. I guess Paris, Texas, Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, they. If yeah. You, he <laughs> actually, Same movie, you know. <laughs> it's funny you brought up the professionalism because he does. I, I listened to the commentary for the first time uh, on Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two with Toby Hooper. He is very. He doesn't talk a lot. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't want to share too much. Like when he does, it's amazing. But he very. He always is like, yeah, I forget what happened there. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. Liar. Like, I'm like, I know, you know something here, buddy. Uh, yeah, that's, and that, that's so funny, too, because I, um, I, was, I watched some of the special features for Texas Chainsaw 2 as well, and I watched the one with all the makeup guys, and their vision of him is so different than, like, like they were always like, yeah, he's very, he's very talkative, but only about, like, the work. And uh, apparently they had like a lot of uh, monetary concerns about like getting the funding, like while they were filming Texas Chainsaw a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, they were like, yeah, none of us knew that he was just like, yeah, good job guys. Keep making the bloody things and we'll chop them up later. And like, yeah. <laughs> he never brought up the fact that like, you know, he was probably had like so much producer stress on him while he was making that oh, movie, man. especially because at the same time he was pre-production and cutting invaders from Mars at the same time, which by the way, we should mention while we're talking about invaders from Mars apparently was an absolute fucking disaster. Um, it, it sounds like Toby Hooper, um, who's not an editor, which is interesting because a lot of like very good directors uh, shoot for edits and are editors themselves yep. in a lot of ways. And like they have the vision for how their film is going to be cut. Um, and, and when Toby Hooper shot this invaders from Mars, he, you know, he obviously had this vision of like this very heightened, sillier, but still darker version of like, you know, one of these sort of like 80 Spielberg kids dramas that's vaguely you know in the genre realm and taking those genre elements to like an absurdist degree he knew what he was doing but the movie went through four editors uh because and and big editors like i don't remember the names anymore but like three of them were like hollywood time editors who were trying to cut this film and they couldn't make it work and toby hooper basically couldn't figure out why they couldn't make it work and canon didn't like it nobody liked the movie (laughs) and and no one was having a great time so they brought in this random editor from israel who does comedies he did israeli comedy films wow (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and they brought him in and they uh and canon brought him in i guess because i think he he did some i think he might have took a look at delta force for them or something like that he did some stuff for them and so he took a look at it and he watched i think what was like the third pass with the third editor and apparently he was just like yeah this just isn't i i see why it's not working yeah give me a give me a shot and uh toby hooper was like you know, I don't, what's this random, like, chubby Israeli man going to do to my film to make it work that three Hollywood editors can't do? So he left for the weekend and said, do what you can. And he came back and he showed him, I guess, like, the first uh, act or two of the film that he re-edited. And he was like, that that was what I wanted. <laughs> and, th- and that's the film. That's killer. <laughs> that's, um... So the, the, the version that exists was just this random Israeli, not even a genre uh, and a guy who was unfamiliar with both Texas Chainsaw and unfamiliar with like Spielberg movies, even he literally just cut comedy films and he was like, yeah, Toby Hooper's clearly making a comedy film. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I think, I think, I think, he, I, I think that was what there. everyone didn't get yeah. is that, uh, he 
had all these guys being like, we're cutting the Texas Chainsaw Massacre dudes film. But Toby Hooper very clearly made like a very heightened, absurd genre movie to the point. Well, it's funny because they clearly had still a lot of, uh, they didn't, I think this guy uh, with Jacobit, Jacobowitz, I forget is that the guy who edited this. He, oh yes, yeah. Their yeah. First, he edited uh, Globus and Golem's uh, biggest hit from Israel, Lemon Popsicle. That was the big okay, deal. Yeah, so like they still that. had a connections to all that whole industry back in Israel because they were huge. They were the biggest money makers in the history of Israeli cinema at the time. They mm-hmm. made shit tons of money. I mean, they were they were insanely popular in Israel. So they took. All almost a lot of the like Bose Davidson, who is still making movies, I think he came over, he directed Lemon Popsicle. Uh, that became the basis of um, The Last American Virgin, which is a wild canon movie. Uh, if you ever get a chance yeah. to see it, uh, but yeah, like it is interesting to me that they had this connect, like they were taking from two pools Hollywood and the Israel, uh, Israeli uh, movie industry. Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's really interesting too because, um, like obviously this guy then got to work on Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 not even having seen the original yeah. and not caring for horror movies of any kind he's like yeah not really for me but uh, I like Toby Hooper and uh, I seem to be able to understand what he was going for and especially because it should be noted too Invaders from Mars and Texas Chainsaw 2 are overtly Hooper's most like tongue-in-cheek absurd oh, yeah. to the point oh, yeah. of being comic um, films absolutely that, that yeah that he would do. So it, it, it does make sense that, that that relationship would, would work. Um, but pivoting towards, um, reductive rating round on, on invaders here. Uh, this one gets the high three from me. I think, um, I, 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 I do appreciate very much what, what Huber is, uh, going for with this one. And I, I do think I like it more than like, it seems that most people see, it seems like for a lot of Hooper people, this isn't even one that they appreciate, um, too much but it, it it is interesting to see that like it's just like they don't appreciate it for something that is once again the filmmaker seems to be very overtly doing and uh, feeling yeah. like a little bit like superior to the film and it's they're just like oh this is like a shitty et and i'm like well no he's very clearly <laughs> they even have <laughs> like, like the i was gonna mention in my little final wrap-up but it's the that shot where it, he looks out his window and he sees the fence and then the the spaceship comes down. It kind of has the mm-hmm. same shape and feel of the ET spa- spaceship yep. a little bit. Absolutely. It's got that round, yeah, like, like yeah. yeah. He's it's very, very overtly like like riffing on it in in that way. And my only complaint, I think, is that just uh, I watched it literally right after watching Life Force. Yeah, and the the visual imagination in life force is just like a little bit more extreme because Hooper is not doing like a basic family melodrama blockbuster style film. Um, when, you know, he's not doing the crazy monster shit. Cause when he gets into the crazy monster shit, this gets very imaginative. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I would just say w- w- when he's not doing it, it's, it is a lot of like watching a sort of bad child actor, like feel like he's being gaslit by like a teacher. And like, that's, that's kind of like what long stretches of it, uh, play like. And it, it is pretty cool to watch Hooper do like his own sort of like itchy version of like a close encounters or an ET style, uh, film. And then push it into something that is like legitimately weird and gross, which makes those scenes like, I think more shocking because you don't really expect them in that kind of film that we're watching here. And the effects are like incredibly impressive to look at. Um, And I I will say I'll give credit to him too. I think that the ending is really fucking scary. Yeah. 
um, where he uh, gets all the way home and they imply that it's like sort of like a dream and his parents are back. Um, but then he goes into their bedroom and he hears like the weird, like alien sounds again and stuff like that. And there, there is something here about like being a little bit like presenting, uh, you know, the sort of adulthood and, and childhood in like sort of warmer American domestic movies and just making something a little bit grimmer and, and, and cynical about that. And also including, you know, a, as Chris put, like an incredibly dumbfounded military aspect that is just led by a child who's talking about meatballs and stuff. So, like, there's some really, like, well-done, tongue-in-cheek, like, genre play happening uh, in this film that I, I have to appreciate, which means that I can't, you know, I, I, I just can't agree with everyone who's like, this is, like, one of Hooper's worst movies. No, yeah, the, by, by far it is not. It's, uh, I'm, I'm also going to give it the high three. Um, it's it, For me, it was just, like, I just wanted a little bit more of the kind of like bizarre parent scenes like where they're act trying to act as human beings uh but they're they're aliens i think that they could have actually milked that a little more i was enjoying kind of the weirdo bizarre aspects of that um but overall i think this was really entertaining it's i think it's a great kind of tongue-in-cheek sci-fi uh riff um i do clearly see that he's kind of you know i don't know if you want to say he's like paying homage or actually poking fun at the whole, you know, Spielberg and more classic family science fiction kind of stuff. Um, yeah. See, I would, I, I would argue paying homage, but then you throw in yeah. the, the, the tiff between them that is implied in the history of the production of Poltergeist no. and you get a little bit, something a little bit that feels a little bit sharper, a little bit meaner maybe. Yeah. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's the vibe I get for sure. So I would give it a high three, but, um, I don't know. I, I really did enjoy this. I, I'm going to rewatch it, I think, and it, maybe it could get the upgrade because I, I do I do find a lot of uh, charm in this. So, yeah. This would like literally be the line between a high three and a low four to me. Like, yeah, this is so sure. exactly that line because what I think I'm, I miss from it is something like uh, when uh, Lorraine Newman as uh, Carlson's uh, mother is like eating meat, raw meat. Right, like I want more little, of that. Little strange note, like her eating uh, uh, Louise Fletcher eating the frog, like more of that. I think really yeah. would have brought this into where Hooper wanted it to be fully. But yeah. like, it's also incredible to watch. I mean, this is 1986. The rocket, the rocket ship explodes. This is the same year as the Challenger disaster. Oh wow! Oh, no. And I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> like, I'm like Jesus! Like it, to talk about like to be able to be on the precipice of national fears that high and i'm like oh like it just gives it a whole other meaning to me and a whole other like fear to me uh that it didn't have when i just watched it as a funny alien movie when i was a kid and like it's funny that that transitions from like big you know national uh issues to something more primal and uh familial and uh, uh rural uh, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Like, there's an interesting shift there between what Life Force and Invaders was trying to do to what uh, TCM2 does. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I really love this movie. Awesome. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for uh, Invaders from Mars. We're going to be right back, and we're going to be talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Years ago, audiences across America were horrified by the savagery of a faceless killer. In the wake of this bizarre rampage, 
he vanished. Now, after more than a decade of silence, he has come out of hiding. Chainsaw Massacre 2. The buzz is back. Directed by Toby Hooper. All right, we are back, and we are talking the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, 2, or also known as Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. The 1986 American uh, black comedy slasher film directed by uh, Toby Hooper, obviously a sequel to his legendary uh, low-budget uh, horror masterpiece, The Texas Chainsaw, which we just discussed on this show uh, probably like two or three months ago. So if you guys haven't heard that episode and you want to hear us talk about uh, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all of its sort of like expressionist psychological terror abstracted through like this very blunt, tangibles, almost snuff film quality, yeah. we went absolutely wild and talked like a full hour on all of its sort of like late 60s, early 70s sort of like uh, political landscape, cynicism, and violence that inspired it, and how he basically turned his film into a very grisly work of art. And he loves doing uh, things about like strange, abusive family dynamics. He likes uh, he very much likes this idea of an industry of of meat uh, is one thing, and 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 how the characters sort of get uh, treated that way. But he also has a very uh, stripped down bare essential tangible uh quality to that film that he just sort of overpowers with style and mood creating this very like menacing metaphysical uh uh quality with these like hot orange colors in the daylight and then like the low light uh, uh 16 millimeter film stock that he uses to get like the blues at night and w- we talked endlessly about the last half hour of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is just a woman screaming in a hell void for like 30 minutes <laughs> yep. straight, literally being yep. attacked Super by close like ups and- nature. And I mean, even th- there's borderline experimental shots, like the extreme close up on like the blood capillaries in her eyes yeah. and how like deeply ingrained and primal her sort of like terror experience is. And so like, again, if you want to hear us go like a full hour deep into Texas Chainsaw, because we won't have time to get into it uh, for for this one. Go oh, back no. and listen to that one. We're going to bring it up probably sporadically as we talk about what is very different in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, because he does keep um, a lot of elements. This, this still does have a very nasty quality to its violence, but it's uh, obviously with makeup artist Tom Savini working on this film, it's a, it's a little less blunt and implied than it is... Uh, very on screen and very in your face, even if it's, you know, just, it feels just as vicious and ferocious as the uh, first film. But well, we was, did talk a lot about how the first film doesn't ha- doesn't have a lot of gore shots. It doesn't right, have a lot of exactly. nudity and stuff because he didn't think that he was making like the hardest X rating he'd ever get film <laughs> when he was making that film. He thought that that could be like a PG 13 almost kind of film yeah. because it just, you know, it, it didn't I don't show have, blood and stuff. It's fine. Yeah, but he just accidentally made the most like terrifying, terrifying movie of all time, and like a, a pure expression of like an unhinged state of of mind. Like that film again ends on 
uh, Leatherface doing a chainsaw ballet in what looks like an image from Terrence Malick's Badlands or something. Yeah. Uh, So it's, you know, he, he just made one of the absolute like craziest uh, horror films and he came to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 with kind of like, I think he found it ludicrous, the idea that there would even be a sequel to that. He was just like, the whole point, and we talk about it a little bit when we talked about it, is that that movie basically doesn't really start or end. It's basically, the experience of watching that is that sort of like you exist, you discover this horrifying thing that exists in the same place as you, sort of reclaiming this idea of like, um, you know, there are, monsters already in your home already existing in america already existing in systems that that we live in you realizing that it's there being very fucking scared of it and there's nothing you can do about it it's just kind of like now you so have you that leave knowledge screaming. even yeah yeah so even even if you escape it you still have to just live with uh, I mean, as the what's the really famous tagline that that one has? Uh, who will be left alive and what will be left of them? It's yeah. like what is really like left of you at that point once you've seen that abyss. And, it's, and we and, also see kind of the uh, we'll get to the specifics, but that trajectory takes hold in this movie as yeah. well. <laughs> very similar, yes. But he just he he definitely leans into because this came out. Uh, this is 12, 12 years later after uh, Sound Texas Chainsaw right. the first one I think seventy four. Yeah, it was 74 and then 86. So 12 years later, this comes out. And um, Hooper obviously uh, partially intended, even though it's still, again, one of the most gruesome portraits that there's ever been, he did intend Texas Chainsaw to be a little bit of a love letter to his home state um, in in a lot of ways and uh, sort of an angle that other people maybe didn't see it in. And this one, he gets to take that actually probably a little bit further. He actually seems to have fun a little bit hanging out in some of the uh, Texas locales. We actually get to see some of them. It's not just like you're on the highway and then you're in this abandoned house and you're kind of, and then there's the gas station. Like here we get to see the local radio station. We get to see the people driving around. We get to see a chili contest. We get to see like things that uh, Toby Hooper very clearly seemed to like love growing up in, in Texas. And so you get kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre funneled through a very, like Southern fried Reagan era eighties excess with some like very blatant humor, some very insane Savini gore, um, very sexual and, suggestive uh, themes with Leatherface. Yeah. We should acknowledge that this film basically inspired the entire book. Uh, was it men, women and chainsaws, yeah. which was the, um, the the book that kind of took a uh, gendered uh, theory analysis of the slasher film and how it was like kind of like that rare genre that always gave you kind of like a, an input into the female experience. Um, and Hooper definitely, uh, will say, takes that to the next level by including some very uh, horny Leatherface imagery. Um, that is that is talked about yeah. and it, it creates one of the best lines in this entire movie that I absolutely love involving sex or the saw man. <laughs> yeah. Saw is family. Saw is family. <laughs> the the thing I like chainsaw heaven baby. The thing I like is the the difference is that like when you had this in the first one, it's all stripped out Texas. It's like uh, nothingness for miles. Like these little tiny things. Like you get the vastness of Texas in that first movie. And this is all interiors. This yeah. is very like incredible interiors. They do an incredible production. The production design is incredible. 
Um, yeah. But this is all like contained areas for what is, you know, ironically also a more blown out version of the family than the last one. Yeah, I mean, he he really loves these family dynamics, and I'm not sure if it is just coming from a Texas family. He loves to investigate that kind of stuff. He obviously takes it to an ab- absurdist degree, but like he also did it in something like The Fun House, yeah, uh, which we, yeah. we talked about uh, not too long ago, which which definitely had like the sort of like Carney hiding his monstrous son. And like the the weird dynamic, that kind of like Phantom of the Opera dynamic, almost that came out of that, um, and uh, also eaten alive, which the normal family who shows up in that film, the quote unquote normal family who comes to the motel, is basically just as unhinged and and fucking wild as the uh, scythe murdering alligator worshiping madman in that film. Yeah, uh, like there's and and it helps too that I think it's William Finley plays the father in like who's oh, yeah. supposed to be the normal psycho family thing that's happening there, uh, and like again he just he he seems very. Uh, which also makes Invaders from Mars kind of stand out a little bit because, <laughs> weirdly enough, that's probably the most wholesome family dynamic before they get taken in by the aliens. Oh yeah, it definitely the has. Parents are has like cartoonishly fifties, like they're just like, yeah. Oh hey son, how you doing today? Yeah. And the most. So he has. Good. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, so he has some interesting hangups about uh, the the American family unit, and he really gets to take that too very insane heights when he gets into this family of cannibals uh, who reside in, in Texas. And I really loved the opening where um, he, he talks about how the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre was uh, Sally uh, breaking out of a window in hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the, while what's been happening over the last 10 years is that law, the lawman could not locate the macabre murder house and so during the last 13 years, bizarre grizzly chainsaw murders keep happening. But the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on paper never technically happened, but it still haunts and it seems to have no end, is what the opening text crawl basically says. And it seems to have no end. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if that is, like, once again, Hooper being like, why does a Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel exist? Yeah. Um, was this, by the way, so I don't know if you mentioned I'm just going to go crazy. Was this something that he wanted to make? Like, was this something where he was like, I need to make part two? Or was this a canon going, we want you to make a sequel because it's just going to do really well? I don't know that we know because, again, I don't think he ever, like, t- he, he he's like the opposite of a burning bridge guy. Like, he'll never talk about it. Okay. Because it comes off as like, like, it definitely comes off like he's almost making fun of like his own creation and then also making fun of the excess of the eighties and stuff. So I wasn't sure if he was on board and really enjoying it, or if he was kind of just having his fun while throwing a middle finger up to everybody. (laughs) The the commentary on, on uh, TCM two does, it does seem like he had this idea that this was something he wanted to do. Um, but he also like, he pitched it to them as like, Oh no, it's going to be, you know, just like the first one grizzly, you know, it wasn't, it, he didn't tell Uh, them about like, this is going to be red comedy. This is going to be like really out there stuff. And that's why they hate the shit out of it. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, yeah. And, and, and he originally pitched it too, though, that with an idea that they rejected, which was something to do, um, sort of about like more like the, almost like the factory production. It sounded like he had something more to do kind of like eating a live version of this, where it like takes place almost entirely with them, like in the house kind of deal was okay. what it seemed like he kind of pitched, which uh canon didn't like. And they wanted more like 
make it again. Like there's Teenagers people getting killed and, off, yeah. and yeah, and like so then he had to sort of restructure it a little bit that way. Um, the the interesting so the, the oh, sorry no go ahead. Uh, the interesting thing about that is that like it, it, one of the things that I really take away from the first one is the that the line in the when the hitchhiker comes into the car and he's like, you know, the old way was better. You know, industrialization is a hobby horse of Hooper's. And he really does, Mm -hmm. like, it became, it becomes bigger in The Mangler, which is all about that. Um, But, like, that that would be a lot more interesting to see how they turned their business into a factory. Like, where it used to be a mom and pop shop of, you know, you know, human hot dogs or whatever. Um, to see like an actual process like that 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 was that would be really amazing actually there's a lot of talk in this one about how the small businessman is always screwed over (laughs) (laughs) but i i I do like that he immediately announces to you that this is going to be a very different that that opening scene of like the yuppie texas bros like firing guns and joyriding in their jeep and calling in to uh, the the rock station and just having and they're a great so time. animated too. Like their performances are over the fucking top. They're like they're pretty much yeah. equal to what we see later with the family, except they're just like preps instead. Yeah. And uh, it, it's it's it, it really does. It just sets the tone perfectly. Like it it's one of those things. I guess what we were talking about with like invaders from Mars, where it seems people really like this one, but I could see someone thinking like, oh, this is just dumb and People wild. People didn't and, like it at the time. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. That always happens on this fucking show. <laughs> People do yeah, not well, respect no, I, the good stuff, man. And I and I, I do sort of understand because I think people went in being like, we're going to get another Texas Chainsaw and clearly Hooper didn't want to just do the same thing again. He wanted to, he had something else that he wanted to explore. Yeah. Um, and you know you can you can tell by just like the saturation of some of the colors and some of the craziness of some of the imagery, like the Halloween costume turning on a chainsaw side by side in the car while they're driving along. Like there's nothing like that that no. even slightly resembles the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like it's it, it's no. missing that sort of like elementally primal, Beer. you know, terror quality. Yeah. And it, this is something just way more vividly absurd, but still like incredibly repulsive so it's kind of like a grotesque like cartoon satire of the original film in in certain ways but hooper just an incredibly skilled filmmaker so none of this ends up meaning that it's like cheap or lazy or it's a rehash like it it feels like he's exploring a different part of himself and part of that is he wanted to because he, I think he was a little pissed off that he got the X rating without doing gore. I think he was like, then let's just fucking do the gore then. Yeah, like, what's the <laughs> point? Yeah, I might as well show everything if yeah. you're going to give it to me anyway. He, he very uh, loudly has said, like, I, I went up to Tom Savini. I said, go for it. Just go. go all <laughs> it. And I'm like, you're asking Tom Savini to do that? Like, yeah. That, I'm surprised there wasn't like, just like a tidal wave of blood and guts at some point. Yeah, well, at one yeah, point, well, they, well, he, the, like Dennis Hopper, I think he's busting open that yep. wall and blood just flies <laughs> out of it. Like it's and it's chunky, too. Like it's not just like straight up paint or whatever. It's got chunks and guts in it. And it's just, oh, my God. Or or like the the peeling of the skin from LG. Ooh. Um, it's just it's it is nightmare fuel, but it's so excessive and so in your face that 
you almost like at a certain point you just you, you gotta laugh because it's like it's so over the top and it, ridiculous it's really rendering like when he knocks on that wall that's like rendering plant stuff that's coming out like it's not just like cheap yeah. like blooded stuff it's like no this is actual guts and all the he, yeah there's a, an amazing part of the commentary it's actually the best part where he actually talks a lot about production is He's like, yeah, I bought, these are all uh, skeletons. Uh, they're actual skeletons because they're actually, <laughs> it's, it's cheaper to buy actual skeletons in bulk than plastic <laughs> ones. It turns out. On a from, budget, baby. From, from India. Like he, he goes through this whole thing where he's like, yeah, it's actually, he's like, I had an idea for a, a film called Skeleton Farm from this where he was going to like, uh, you know, people would be like, uh, you know, taking uh, well care of like dental and everything, but only to be turned into skeletons that you could sell to producers and movie makers. Oh my God. And I was and like, they, oh so, man. so it's like, do you know if, uh, for instance, when they, when they show Franklin's skeleton uh, and he's, uh, it's, he's sitting and they put him in the wheelchair still, they, uh, is it, is that a real skeleton? I believe so. You know? I, I think all the skeletons in the underground lair are real wow. skeletons. That's crazy. That's absolutely Yeah, the underground crazy. layer should be noted is one of the greatest feats of production design of Insane. the game. Has to be. Oh, it's so good. It is unbelievable and and a huge part of kind of like where he's pulling his aesthetic from a little bit too because it literally is an abandoned carnival ground decorated with human bones and, you know, giant multicolored lights and, you know, sort of like remnants of the carnival and fairs and rides. And I also and, love and the, like uh, the outside of it with this, like, it's just, it's like a concrete, uh, I don't know. It's like it. It almost seems like abstract art. The way that that it's all slapped together, like it's got graffiti mm-hmm. all over the place. It has these like cement slides. It's it's the strangest looking thing I've ever seen on film. Almost. Yeah, I just I I really do appreciate that. Like there there is, um, kind of an element to this where there is this decayed carnival that he has chosen basically as his overall aesthetic. Like that's what it feels like you're watching. There is like there, you know, there are these like repulsive set pieces, just like the, the last 40 minutes of this movie is just one long set piece wandering around this decrepit decaying place of like sensory and entertainment, which does feel a little bit like who, you know, Hooper, starting to get a little bit disillusioned by, by the movie industry and what, you know, the fact that he is, you know, marketing a sequel to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's like, it, it just seems ridiculous when you say it like that. And it, it's helped too by the poster, which is very clearly a riff on the Breakfast Club. Like it's literally the exact same poster as the <laughs> Breakfast Club, but with the Texas Chainsaw characters. Yeah. Um, and 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 because of that, I, I do sort of understand that, you know, uh, it, it does make sense that Canon hated his movie, that he was turning in something that was sort of like, uh, sort of like a double-edged thing of like, here's what a sequel to Texas Chainsaw uh, Massacre kind of looks like. But the thing is, is it's so vividly rendered and it's so skillfully made that, you know, it, 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 there was no choice. This was this had to get reclaimed at a certain point um, because, like, it, the actual set pieces themselves are insane. Like, when you look at that mural inside the carnival underground, uh, this, like, subterranean, uh, like, theme park uh, candy-colored lair... Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Dennis Hopper holding three chainsaws, uh, you know, rips it open and blood and guts and intestines literally leak out of this colorful mural. And Dennis Hopper says, 
it's the devil's playground. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm taking it all down. And and he's here to get uh, bloody revenge it, uh, for killing um, Franklin and for, I, I think they mentioned that Sally was like institutionalized or something that, like that. Yeah. Basically driving Sally insane. I love Hopper's um, line too, where he's just like looks at him and he just goes, I am the Lord of the harvest. <laughs> What's that? Like, what the hell? What's that? Some new yeah, healthcare food bunch? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so, so it, it should be stated that this is fucking insane. And Dennis Hopper, by the way, amazing. Uh, apparently, he apparently he hated this movie. Oh. He thinks it's the worst movie that he was in. He's but, so good. He somehow matches their like carnival craziness of their characters, and it's it's so it's amazing because he's like everyone else looks like they're insane. Whereas Dennis Hopper is just straight up in like this Texas sheriff uniform with two chainsaws and it's, it's there's, a cowboy hat. It's, it's, but, but somehow every time he opens his mouth, he's just as bizarre as everybody else. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. He, he gives quite a performance and I, I love the scene where he's shopping for the chainsaws. Oh, oh it's so and because, because you have to wonder at a, at a certain point when, when he goes shopping for the chainsaws and he grabs one giant one. And he's like, okay, but that I don't just need that. I need also these two small ones. I need ones. dual wheel them, yeah. Yeah, and, and then he starts practicing on the tree in a way that is very clearly he's not practicing cutting a tree down. <laughs> yeah. And and you have to wonder, and the guy's sitting, the, like the guy who owns the chainsaw shop is watching him, and he was like, you have to feel like he'd be like, what are you going to use these for? Yeah, what is this, man? Yeah, what's what's that the, is not what's, proper what's, technique. What's going on here? I feel like it's kind of um, like the taxi driver scene when he's buying the guns. Exactly. Like, yeah. and, and like exactly and the guy just says like the weird like hot dog that's a hot ham or something to him i'm like jeez how would you say <laughs> yeah. that yeah yeah no a hundred percent that is exactly what that scene plays like it plays like toby hooper doing the taxi driver scene but he's shopping for chainsaws <laughs> to chop people up and also again the dual wield aspect is insane and it's also worth noting this came out the same year as blue velvet where Dennis Hopper is like sucking on oxygen and like uh, brutally uh, murdering and like assaulting people in the David Lynch dreamscape as well. So Dennis Hopper had one hell of a year. Yeah. Um, and speaking on uh, chainsaws uh, as well, I like the fact that they it's it's used obviously as as a violent weapon, such as like where Dennis Hopper uses it or every time Leatherface uses it on a victim. But then they also have all the suggestive themes where Leatherface basically sees it as his penis. And yes. uh, and that is just obviously sickening and bizarre, but because it's so aggressive and because of all these like close-ups of his disgusting teeth and him kind of smiling and trying <laughs> to like flirt with her and stuff, it just gives off this like comedic aspect too. Even though it's obviously well, horrible, but it's it's so just it's so uh, strange and, and yeah. Well, and, and we, we talked about it on the first one too. When we were talking about that, we talked about how something that's so scary about um, Leatherface is that he is like very clearly sort of like intellectually and emotionally like stunted. Right. But he has like this giant meaty body that's so powerful. And like, that's something that is really kind of scary about him. Cause when you get into the family dynamics, you know, after they've captured Sally and he's like putting on the face makeup to go to dinner, like there's something sort of innocent about him. Yeah. But at the same time, we know what he's capable of. We saw the scene, the incredible shot where he, 
you know, pulls the dude uh, and slams the door and puts the girl on the meat hook and things right. like that. So you ha- you have to reconcile that with like a character who is very clearly an abused, you know, sort of stunted man. So when you watch this and they introduce like him, basically, it seems like going through puberty. Yeah, this is our, at this, this point is his in his teenage life. years for sure. Yeah, this is teenage. He's, days. he's dancing, you know, he's humping the air with the with the chainsaw. He's just a horny guy, man. He's just trying to express himself. Flickering yeah. tongue everywhere. But, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. <laughs> and, and 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 there is something weirdly kind of cathartic about seeing the gore and seeing the effect of what he does with the saw in this one too like when he chops that one dude's uh head off uh in in the car and it like slides right off and then oh, yeah. you know you, you you do get a semblance of like um i guess sort of i guess the the penetrative aspect of the chainsaw like is more visualized in this so you yeah. get kind of like a feel for I that i mean they do have so that it, shot of him literally like like kind of sneakily going up her leg right to her area very and disturbing just kind of, yeah. very disturbing like, yeah very disturbing like her and 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 also he chainsaws the uh the ice bed of soda yep. cans so that she is like soaking wet yeah so her leg bare skin is like soaking wet and he's like rubbing it with like the, the you know the chain yeah it's, yeah it's, <laughs> it's also so bizarre it's ingenious to put that to have like your uh product placement be the bed for this incredibly weird scene like Mountain Dew, <laughs> yeah, Pepsi signs, like all that. And that's literally what she's on while this like, uh, you know, metaphorical rape is going on. <laughs> yeah. Like drink Pepsi. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I also like, yeah, that, I do the, like that whole scene in the radio station, especially with, um, Bill Mosley, who has replaced, um, the, uh, I think it was Ed. Who were we talking about? The in, hitchhiker? In the, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who has sort of like, uh, I don't know if they they couldn't get him again, but I think he was uh, Edwin Edwin Neal was that in the first one. Right. So in this one they've re- in this one they've replaced him with um, uh, Bill Mosley, who does a pretty good job of like re rendering that performance. Oh like, yeah, the, the voice and stuff is right, and like a lot of his actions and stuff are right. And again, but they just have to up the grotesquery of it. So when they get into that radio station looking for the uh, tape that they were that the radio host DJ. Uh, recorded of those kids being murdered because once again Leatherface and uh, I think his name is uh, in this one it's Chop Top yep. they call him Chop Top Sawyer yeah. uh, they they just love like wilding out and killing people on the streets which is obviously you know what results in them getting caught um, so they go to the radio station to get the tape back because it's clearly a tape of them murdering uh, the fucking like yuppie kids in the jeep and that metal plate on his head and he's scratching it with the coat hanger and the burning and like the when he uses uh, the lighter it's just these like little <laughs> added details that makes everything slightly grosser than it already is and then when he reveals the plate it's got like crusty skin around it and shit it's like yellow it's so nasty it's, it's amazing uh. if you again like i'm going to be referencing the, the 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 commentary all the time but like he the way he explains that is that he keeps the skin from fusing over the plate because if he can get the coat hanger underneath the plate, he ejaculates Im- uh, in- immediately. <laughs> like, this is how he gets off is constantly being able to keep open that wound. And like, Oh my God. I'm like, oh my you, of God. course you couldn't have gone into that much detail into the movie. Like actually be like, yeah, I get off from this, but like that. And also, you you, well, you do get a really sick, twisted feeling out of yes. watching he's it. he's enjoying like, it, 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 it for sure. Yeah. I just never like, and you kind of, now that I'm looking back, like I can, I can totally see it. 
But it is interesting because like every time he does it, he's definitely deriving pleasure from it. That is for sure. Oh yeah, God. So. yeah. And then when he heats it up with the the lighter, <laughs> yeah. And even even also just some of the lines that he's getting in the scene where he's he's trying to introduce himself as someone who's like gonna like request some some songs. Big fan. But again, yeah. everything about his performance is just like off. And <laughs> also, you know, there's the the exposed teeth. And there's like this magenta lighting again. It's it's very colorful, and I love too the line that he gets when he's asking about the tape that they played on the radio, which was uh, played so that you know everyone else would believe that there is a chainsaw killer out, so that Dennis, someone will believe Dennis Hopper, so he can go on his revenge mission. Yeah. But he says, "What was that tape that you were playing? The Rambo Three soundtrack?" <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, 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 which again, talking about sort of like eighties excess and movie making in that right. way, uh, especially. So like you could, you definitely feel like Hooper is like um, you know there there is a pointed nature to the satire both about you know uh, a Texas Chainsaw movie but also he can't help but just like make it I mean I, I would say this isn't really as scary I guess as I would say as Texas Chainsaw because no, Texas Chainsaw is I think just still a movie that scares the shit out of me when yeah. I watch it like almost every time that I watch it so and, but and this is sacrificing that but again doing so intentionally yeah. to um you know sort of like make some 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 points um so you know I, I find it interesting that this was like as rejected kind of as it was because it is so skillfully made and I can't help but watch it now and just be like dude these set pieces are still like incredible like everything about that uh radio um DJ scene and how it does that cross cutting? I'm surprised this guy wasn't a horror editor when I ended up watching this because that scene where he is, um, you know, very suggestively uh, shooting the chainsaw like it's Leatherface's penis, uh, and and but but cross cutting with Chop Top hammering her friend in the head oh, over and over, over again. Yeah. and over and over and blood squirting everywhere. Oof. So then at, at a certain, a certain point you have this extreme close up of the saw touching wet skin. And then it cuts to an extreme close up of like blood squirting out of this dude's head. And he seizures and smash with a hammer. Like it's just yep. like, yeah. and the, the, that guy takes so much pain in this movie. Like he's, that's not even his death, right? Like he gets hammered in the nope. head, like four five times and then he gets moved to the slaughterhouse and he gets skinned. They use an electric turkey they, cutter they, yeah, they, on him they to flay him. Off, <laughs> they, they put it on her which is fucking insane and then they have a conversation while she's in the face mask and he's alive and it's just he goes through the most like torturous bizarre death ever. It's, it's really that sequence is so disturbing because it is the and, and again it's, it's like the wet peeling sounds are so fucking disgusting as they're like peeling the pieces of his fucking skin off and Leatherface again innocently using them like I've got a new toy or something like that like the way he's he's like trying it on yeah yeah but then but then when he's holding up her friend's face as a mask and she says it's wet she he puts it on her and it's so fucking gross but again for Leatherface this is like a genuinely sweet interaction of like him sharing his new toy because he likes her and it's a gift yeah uh and then and then he he gets up and he's and and he starts dancing with her but her friend is like technically still alive in the corner he wakes up without a face on he looks at her who is wearing his his face face. yeah and and like the the absurdly disgusting (laughs) concept of this scene is just so fucking repulsive and disgusting that you can't help 
but like laugh, but it is a very poisonous, like black sense of humor. Like it is so fucking gross. I mean, Hooper didn't want to, I, I feel like his whole idea was like, just make sure the characters make sense. And that's how you make it more disturbing. Like, yeah. like mm-hmm. Leatherface only has one moment of like, quote unquote, introspection in the first one. And that's when he's alone in the house. Like, and yeah. it's just kind of like squealing and then like sits on the couch. It's like, huh. Rough day. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> but like now you he is a major part of this. He's a character. He's a full-fledged character in this movie, which is yeah. just the attempt to the do desires that and like yeah. is just insane to do, but he he pulls it off because he cares about this. Yeah, there's there's definitely something in in Hooper that like he is able to somehow and even a little bit in the first one, like he he does have talk about, you know, sort of like how they are sort of like outmoded workers who have retransferred their skills into horror. But like there is something, you know, there's always a sense of like he feels for the people on screen, even when (laughs) he's inventing the most horrible things that could possibly happen to them. And just, and just intentionally trying to repulse you. Like, like when, when, when the, the dad comes up and he's like, you have one choice, boy, the sex or the sex or the saw. And I love the follow-up line that he has where he's like, sex is, well, nobody knows. And it's very telling <laughs> that the father says nobody really knows. He has two kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but the saw, the saw is family. And we get even more uh, crazy implied history and family dynamics, which is something we said too about the first one that was really strong and something he continues here was that there are enough like very small, horrifying details in this that you get an implied larger history of the family like like how they introduce grandpa the way that grandpa is introduced in that first film where they just go up and they think that they're keeping corpses in the attic and then grandpa (laughs) is like fucking alive and they're saying grandpa was one of the best killers and they're having him uh do the the dinner scene with the uh trying to like hammer her and it's so terrible how he's become like like a vampire basically like sucking the blood out of people to stay alive yeah just being kept alive just barely by fluids but also there's something so terrifying about that about the getting grandpa to use the hammer even though he's so weak because yeah. there's no way he'll get like a clean kill yeah and it's and they, 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 so re- they replicate that scene uh in this one they have the full dinner scene again except that the, the production design of like their layer is so much fucking crazier with like the, the the cobwebs and body parts and and real skeletons apparently and like uh again the crazy colored lighting that they have uh underground what i really like about that is that he he's constantly reminding you of the uh like creativity of outsiders like outside like not just the this whole underground thing which is incredible and is like just but their industry of of, (laughs) up upping what uh like the the bone furniture from the first one um but like Mm. also like uh lg making the little fry house uh, in his yeah, spare time, yeah. like little notes like that suggest like these people have interior lives and have like thoughts of creation that just that doesn't make them just plain. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, which and it's just and honestly, which kind of fits the film because the film is very like just creatively designed like monstrosity yep. in its own way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so the, so, so that you get these characters who you know they are. Uh, creating their own, uh, you know. I mean, as we said in the first one, uh, I think I think they called the corpses they find in the opening scene of the first Texas Chainsaw a grisly work of art. Yep. You get you get something similar um, sort of happening here, but the characters sort of also uh, expressing that, which brings us to like the really big 
finale because after they do the dinner scene and after they they do a repeat of the dinner scene which is just even more disgusting but luckily we got dennis hopper (laughs) in this one and dennis hopper has been um slowly breaking in to the lair that they have taken the radio dj and her friend to to get revenge on them for killing franklin um and he does find franklin's corpse at at one point and he basically decides he's just going to take the whole fucking place down he starts like chainsawing um all their little works of art and their little constructions and and designs that they do to like uh, keep this place sort of like uh like a built like actually standing up because it is very like precariously like a subterranean cave uh kind of but with just like these wooden structures um but when dennis hopper breaks in and he and he does the i am the lord of the harvest and we get a full out fucking chainsaw battle oh yeah between leatherface and dennis hopper Love it. in one of the most cartoonishly violently designed like action scenes i've probably ever seen because they are stabbing each other at one point leatherface gets entirely gutted by the giant chainsaw and it gets so stuck in there dennis hopper has to leave it in there it. Yeah, and, and, and pull out the, the two chainsaws. But this scene ends up ending with, uh, is, it, is it Grandpa tries to pick up the hammer and throw it at Dennis Hopper, but instead he misses Dennis Hopper and hits Leatherface, yep. who has been gutted, has a giant chainsaw sticking out of his gut, and Savini's makeup of the chainsaw going through him is insane. <laughs> oh, good. And so he, and he, he hits Leatherface in the head. He falls. Grandpa falls. And Leatherface drops his his chainsaw, which goes through the table and hits the father, Drayton, who's hiding beneath the table holding a grenade, <laughs> who then drops the grenade. And Dennis Hopper is on top of the table screaming like, I've done it. Like there's like this cathartic moment of like he killed Leatherface. Yeah. And then the grenade fucking goes off and all of them just explode to death, presumably. Yeah, that was one thing I found a little bizarre, just that, and I don't know if it was maybe just budget purposes, whatever, but that they didn't show like the excessive explosion. I don't think it's necessary, but I was just curious because the The rest rest of the movie is so excessive. So I was like, there's going to be like a giant layer explosion. But instead what they do is they just kind of have like the... uh, the sound go off as the uh, and, plate and head dust guy is, come come through the tunnel yeah, a little bit, right? As he's chasing the lead girl, um, and I didn't mind it. I mean, I really enjoyed it regardless, but I was surprised that there wasn't like a big explosion. Well, I we do know that there was stuff cut from this film, because, okay. And honestly, from what I understand, it was mostly for length. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, they just they just didn't like that it was over. Um, like an hour forty is actually pretty long for a slasher film, just in general. Yeah. And apparently, apparently, this was like nearly. Um, two hours or something like that. So there's an entire sequence cut where apparently they are like going around hunting for meat, for their chili, for their, the, oh. the best uh, chili in all of Texas where they don't skimp out on the meat. Um, and uh, like I saw, like there's a brief, like really shitty deleted footage that you can find of it and like it is like entire heads and bodies coming apart like savini went all out for the oh, scene wow. that they cut out was, of the film. Was that, the, that so, was that the Joe Bob Briggs scene? Yeah, yes, yeah, that's yeah. the one they cut out. That's a weird scene yeah, if so you see it on. Like, it, it's it's very, even for this movie, it's a, a little, it's almost like too comic. Because it's just Bob Briggs, like, <laughs> gotcha. making commentary over this destruction. <laughs> yeah, it's, it like, it, it, there is definitely points where it, it, it gets into the realm of slapstick. But, like, like again, like that, the way that that final confrontation goes between all of the yeah. cannibal family and Dennis Hopper. But, like, 
again, you can feel that like as much as it goes slapstick, like Hooper takes elements of it seriously enough and and amps the horror up so much that you do get this like weird whiplash effect because there is nothing um but like fear that comes out of that final set piece. Cause after that giant slapstick slapstick scene and she runs up the mountaintop and finds grandma in chainsaw <laughs> heaven. <laughs> that throw uh, is amazing. Yeah. And, and, and grandma is still uh, alive as she rips the chainsaw out and she's being slashed by chop top while she's like trying to like start the chainsaw up. And again, the design of, of chainsaw heaven and how high up it is. And then she like hit, hits him with the chainsaw and Chop Top falls all the way into the giant tube that goes all the way down the mountain. And it has the exact same ending as the first film with someone uh, wielding a chainsaw above their head and dancing and freaking out and going completely unhinged mania. Uh, she's become but it is, the primal it, it, monster. Yep. Yeah, but it actually is the final girl in this case, which is like, you know kind of a, an interesting little subversion um, on what he was doing with, with the first film and kind of like how this has kind of infected all of us now that the, the general excess of the problems from the sixties and seventies still existing in the eighties, but everything is just like more cartoonish and wild and like overtly on display as like more horrifying. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It doesn't really give you like the traditional wrap up either. Uh, I guess the first one doesn't as well, but um, there's still like a sense of escape with, with Sally in the first one. Whereas this one, her wielding the chainsaw and just going insane watching, you know, the uh, uh, what's it, what's his name again? I always called him Platehead Cause I couldn't remember. Uh, chop top. Chop top. Uh, you know, sliding into the tunnel that we saw just explode. It gives this very like, it's it's not like it's not an ending. It feels like it just kind of cuts away, and you're left with just this high energy, bizarre movie that you just watched. And uh, and I love that about it. I think it's a really a good ending for this for this film because it's it's not you know there's not a clean wrap up in any way, shape, or form, and that's perfect for this. Yeah, well, I, I, once again, the same way he always intended the first one, uh, as he describes in the opening crawl, it, it seems to have no end. Right. It's just like there is no sort of like. Uh, no escape from this in, in any capacity. And in fact, it seems to just be growing. It's infecting more of us. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Even the quote unquote good people are now that way. Like that, that's both Dennis Hopper and, 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 uh, what's, oh God, what's her name? Shit. This is good. Uh, uh DJ stretch. stretch. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Who is, she's amazing um, in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I, I like her a, a lot on this and it is interesting too, that you bring up that like, you know, she is very normal at the beginning of the film and Dennis Hopper is very weird yeah. even at the beginning of the film, but it's definitely like he is meant to be a stand in for like the, the Southern, uh, you know, stoic lawman character. And like, so we, we already know the kind of character that he's supposed to be. And the fact that he's so different from it is exactly the yeah. point. <laughs> Have you guys seen, uh, the third one? Because apparently Carolyn Williams, uh, the girl that plays the lead, is is in it, and I was just curious if like her t- character transfers over in a meaningful way or something like that. I haven't, I haven't seen, seen it. it. Oh, okay, literally the only Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie I have not seen. Oh, okay. I've seen nice. almost all of them at this point, and I see. I see that she's unfortunately seems to have taken a little bit of a step back. She was in a uh, Veronica, Josh. 
no. Yeah, so that really? sucks because she's really talented, it seems. And uh, and apparently, I, I don't even remember her. No, that's the thing. Right I just looked it up, man. And she was just like she was one of the peasant girls in the in the um, in the virgin blood scene sequence or whatever. Uh, that's so got to be really depressing. That's got to suck. Like and she's good making Texas Chainsaw too. And then, yeah, and yeah. she's really good too. So that's yeah, a bit of a bummer, but. I'm gonna have to watch the All third right. one though, because if she's in it, maybe her character actually yeah. like goes over and does something. It, it does appear she gets a very lowly build on that one. Oh yeah, it does. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. uncredited. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, pivoting towards productive rain around on Texas Chainsaw, this one gets this one gets the high four for me. Honestly, I, this one is uh, every time I watch it, it gets a little bit closer to inching towards the five. I, yeah, me too. I do think that I do miss the. Um, like the elemental primal quality of Texas Chainsaw a little bit, but I also understand that he's doing something completely different with this one. And, you know, he, he is taking a lot of the same elements and translating them into an overtly absurd, practically farcical degree of repulsiveness and, and monstrousness. So the American madness of Texas Chainsaw almost becomes like a little bit of like a uh, Looney Tunes type thing with unparalleled production design and makeup and, and, and color. And, and clearly the tone of this film had to be huge inspiration on Joe Dante, who would go on to make films that are, are sort of in this line just with less gore. But something like Gremlins 2 is like what yeah. I think about when I yep. watch something like this, even though Hooper, once again, leaning into, you know, um, the, the horror of like the, the body horror um elements uh for sure the thing that like when i first watched this the 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 way that i tried to describe it was that it's like it's a movie that is like so absurdly revolting that it circles back into being funny that it's like you're 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 having a you know kind of a good time you almost have a whiplash because you're having fun at something that's so absurdly gross but then it is followed by like a sick sort of sadness by the time you hit the end of the film as you realize that what you're laughing at is just like very intense pain and it's so vividly rendered by tom savini um in in the gore effects and stuff like that like that you know you, you do sort of feel something kind of darker and sadder about like just what you're actually seeing even if the tone doesn't quite match that and apparently though hooper and his editor who he pulled over from invaders from mars they said that their experience like editing this film was just laughing their asses off they like every time they had a reaction where they just like had their heads fully back and and, and laughed at a scene like the whole radio dj scene apparently yeah. that was that's how they knew that they you know, had the movie that they wanted kind of on their hands. Um, and, and one detail too, I wanted to bring up that we, we didn't get to, um, is that, um, actually the, the makeup effect for grandpa that Tom Savini did in this one is actually his, uh, according to him, it's his most proud accomplishment as a makeup artist, because, um, even though it's not like the most impressively gory thing that's in the film, like there are obviously way, uh, like the the flaying scene or the head falling off, which by the way, uh, Tom Savini's hands are the hands in the driver's seat <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, uh, while the head is coming off because he was puppeteering the, uh, the design there. Huh. Um, but the reason he loves... Uh, the grandpa thing so much is because basically they had to do sort of mimic the effect from the first one, which is like a little bit cruder and obviously a little bit more low budget. Yeah. Um, But uh, Hooper and everyone was so um, impressed with it and how much that the texture of it reminded them of like the real skeletons that they had laying around (laughs) uh, that uh, 
like that's why it got so many like intense close-ups like where you can see right. the pores and the details on its on on its there's face there's one like, where he goes right into his eyes and they're just disgusting yeah. looking it's great yeah so so apparently hooper was so impressed that's why it got those shots because he was basically like i feel like i could do a close-up of this like it's just a normal human face and it doesn't show that it's an effect yeah um which is which is pretty true um it it looks like very very incredible and and the whole fucking design of just that layer and the colors and everything unbelievable yeah oh yeah um, yeah, I, I give it the high four as well. I get, I'm the same with you, man. I get closer and closer to it. Uh, every time I watch it, um, I am, I am what, like you missing a little bit of that, like just, just very primal horror that, that comes from the first one. I, I love that. But I mean, I, I, this going into the eighties, you know, 1986, it's in the middle of like that excessive eighties horror, uh, stuff. Yeah, so yeah. it's just, it's so fitting. And I love that, it, you know, Toby Hooper is just, he's so good at, doing tongue in cheek stuff, but still keeping his very aggressive horror element uh, in his films. It's, it's, it's very impressive the way that he can balance the, these kind of tones. Um, and uh, yeah, everything's just great. The makeup effects are amazing. I mean, Savini, of course, a king. Uh, and I love the ending, how just abruptly uh, it, it ends on this just very high energy dance that she's doing. Like it's been transferred <laughs> over. I also, I love uh, Leatherface's dance in this. Like instead of his like chaotic, improvised, sporadic, you know, swinging of the, the chainsaw, instead he like holds it above his head and does a little shimmy. Like it's yeah. like this little, <laughs> yeah. it's every time he does it, I crack up so hard and I, I just love it. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have to watch the, uh, the third one and, and see where this goes. Cause I still haven't watched that one. So yeah. Uh, four out of five for now. Yeah. I'd be in the same place, a really high four bordering on a five that is inevitable. I feel, but haven't gotten there quite yet. Like something yeah. I think gets buried in this is like Bill Mosley is so good in this movie. Uh, yes. and they had to, uh, the original idea was that he would be the, um, he would just have been the hitchhiker. Uh, and continue oh, okay. on, but he's like a twin or something. It's funny. Hooper goes through this whole thing where he's like, you know, Dennis Hopper is uh, related to Franklin uh, and um, Sally, but like he doesn't know how. And oh, I I just always assumed he was like an uncle or something. Well, that's like what that. he's like. Yeah, like I, I don't really know, but yeah, he's related. Like I'm like you didn't. You're yeah. thinking about the inner life of fucking Leatherface, and you haven't figured that one out. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like, but Bill mostly that whole scene it is really uh, representative of a very particular uncomfortable feeling of being with somebody who is talking about slightly normal stuff, but is clearly like got something else going on. <laughs> Deranged, yeah. Yeah, and like, <laughs> can you play Innovada Gadida or whatever he says to you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I really love this movie and it is to me, like, the I don't really care that much that it doesn't carry over the primalness of the original one, or I mean, it does, but in a, a very For different sure. way. Um, yeah. where Because like, The Fun House is the movie where I feel like he's most trying to recapture the tone of uh, what he was doing in the first Texas Chainsaw, whereas Eaten Alive seems more of the precursor to these movies. Um, and it, 
Yeah, well, I mean, Eaten Alive is, is I think, like, a perfect mix of what he's trying to do yeah. between yeah. them. Because Eaten Alive does have, like, those surreal, like, comedy qualities a little bit. But honestly, Eaten Alive, like, the, the filmmaking of it is still, like, that last half hour of Texas yep. Chainsaw where it's just, like, very confusing and strange, but in a way that, like, you can't really track almost in the in characters or plot. Like, it doesn't make any sense almost, which is very cool, surreal experience. But Texas Chainsaw 2... He actually does draw like real characters who have like a very cartoonish psychology, but they do have a psychology to them, right? In ways that like Eaten Alive is just kind of all yeah. over the place. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's it's more it's more like um, you know that scene where she's running in the forest away from Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw, but for like ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love this movie. Yeah, no, this is this is like a. I, I honestly can't believe that this exists. A <laughs> yeah, I know. It Every is, time yeah. I watch it, I'm just like, you know, even even if it's not as like elemental and and blunt as the original, still disturbing in in how fanatical and repulsive the textures are and some of the style experimentation that he's doing. Yeah. Which out of un- the f- unbelievable that I mean, I understand why Canon hated it when he turned it in, but my god. <laughs> which which out of the three were the most expensive to make? The Life you know? Force. Oh, okay. I think uh, actually it's in I that yeah it might be in, Invaders from Mars though was uh, seven or eight so it had to be yeah. pretty close. Okay, so to, so this uh, one though Force. was the least expensive out of the three probably. Yeah, I think I think this one was four million. It was okay. Maybe so they were he, starting to like not give him as much money. Well, or- <laughs> they, they gave him six million off the bat, and then they literally when he started shooting, they said uh, actually it's four point seven. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, which is which is the trouble he was having during the production is he was like he he planned on budgeting with you know more money than they were actually right. But this is also by the time he was shooting Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, this was like they were probably less than a year out from bankruptcy. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So they were probably trying to cut. Yeah, couldn't really give him the eight mil this time. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I think that will wrap it up for uh, this week's episode. an insane run of three yeah. high-budget films, Unreal. or at least uh, mid-budget films from uh, Toby Hooper that he would never get the chance to do again. What was the next um, one he did after this? I think Spontaneous Combustion is after this. Okay. Um, the Mangler is the one that is most like this. Um, gotcha. And I, I okay. really highly, highly uh, suggest you watch that one. That is, There's good, amazing Ted Levine in that. Yeah, I'm going to watch this, nice. those for sure. Yeah, I, I honestly think I'm just going to go through uh, everything that I can find. Me too. That's, I love him. A, a, He's great. Uh, available. I also want to watch, uh, it looks like he did what, what looks like some sort of TV thriller that also might be an erotic it's, uh, thriller. I'm Dangerous uh, Tonight. That's yeah. Anthony Perkins uh, and, uh, oh God, what's it, uh, from Twin Peaks. Mad, yep, yep. Yeah, Machin yes. Amik uh, from Twin Peaks. And I, so I saw Anthony Perkins and... Um, uh, Twin Peaks, and I was like, okay, I might need to check. It's that pretty out. nuts. What are his later <laughs> stuff like? Like, I see gin and stuff like that. Is there? A- it's it's a little too much pure VOD stuff. Like, there's flashes gotcha. of what he he's capable of, but you can tell that he just it, it wasn't there anymore. He had he had kind of sacrificed himself to the idea that this was going to be a job from now on. Uh, I got you. Um, I got you. There's like again. There's like if you if you really are really want to go through it, there are things there. But like the mangler is kind of where it ends, in my opinion. 
Cool. I got you. It, 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 it seems like um, Mortuary actually has been reclaimed yeah. uh, a little I, bit. I, that one, I'm not sh- I'm not even sure if I've seen that. Like, I've seen Crocodile, um, mm-hmm. and there was... Well, I was I, I was I was just looking at it, and like its average ratings are like higher than Life Force and really? the Funhouse and Eaten Jesus. Alive. Um, so Mort- that's sort of interesting. Mortuary also though seems to have like uh, like really mixed. Like there's huge bars on five, <laughs> four, three, two, and one. So yeah, holy yeah. shit! I love that got, though. Those are some, interesting films some, usually. Some some late period vulgar tourist Toby Hooper yeah. uh, reclaiming <laughs> going on. We'll check it out. Um, but I also want to see his John Carpenter co-directed um, body bag. It's, it's an interesting little movie that has, that has Carradine and Carpenter starring in it. Oh, cool! <laughs> so, cool. either way, Toby Hooper, what a guy! Crazy films. I, I think we've officially talked about six Toby Hooper films in the last three months on this show. So we might yeah. take a little bit of a break from Toby Hooper, but it has been an absolute ride for sure. So thanks, Chris, so much for like yeah. bringing these bringing these on with you. Um, if you've got anything to plug, this is where we usually uh, have that. So, uh, I have, I do a show. We hate movies. We're on iTunes. Uh, we have a Patreon, uh, uh patreon.com slash we hate movies. Uh, we put up a new episode every week, uh, for free on iTunes. And then we have a, a bunch of stuff, uh, in the, behind our Patreon wall. Um, we haven't actually done any Hooper, I don't think, which is insane to me, but Whoa. we should definitely be doing that <laughs> soon. Um, well, the, you, the, you you guys uh, might be able to see me over yes. on the We Hate Movies feed yes. soon. We, uh, I, I want to keep it a secret because it's a big title that okay, we've been would... wanting to do for a while, and I know that you were very nice. game for it. Um, but it's going to be a big one, and I think it's going to be a lot of laughs. Hell yeah, I'm very excited to talk about the movie talking about so keep your eyes out for that in like a couple of weeks here nice um well for for our listeners uh we are going to be back in one week's time with a bonus episode for you guys over on patreon where we are going to be doing um keeping uh in the realm of canon because we did three canon movies in a row i was like i want to do some more canon while we're hanging out here and uh we've been wanting to do albert pian for like a while and we haven't really figured out like which ones we were going to do yet. So I just figured we would do the two most popular ones that there are. And he made them pretty close together. Technically only one of them is actually Canon, but one was being developed under Canon before Canon went bankrupt. Uh, that counts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we're, we're going to do Cyborg uh, from 1989 starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, which, as I already mentioned, was uh, a uh, sort of a last minute stitching together of production design and costume elements from failed canon productions that they basically <laughs> that which basically led directly to their um, even they were already bankrupt at the time and basically meant that they couldn't pay back any of their debts or anything. Um <laughs> So uh, Cyborg it came out of that situation, and to be fair, Cyborg was a massive hit. Um, so they did luck out a little bit with Cyborg because it cost very little to make, and it was massive. Um, and then uh, we're going to be pairing it with um, Nemesis, which is uh, sort of Albert Pyun doing a very low-budget cyberpunk kind of escape from New York, Blade Runner, Matrix, John Woo yeah. kind of craziness mm-hmm. altogether, but made very cheaply with very questionable performances, <laughs> but a lot of, a, a lot of fun. And uh, yeah. so we're, we're going to be talking about two uh, very low budget Albert Pyun uh, genre movies that one sort of like dystopia apocalyptic with um, basically Jean-Claude Van Damme saving the planet by kicking things as he likes to do. As tr- is tradition. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Uh, and Nemesis, which is probably the closest I've seen to something directly inspiring the Matrix. Yeah. Uh, that just lots of uh, gun ballets and sunglasses. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. And, and, and suits and stuff, so very excited to talk about both of those. That'll be next week's episode over on Patreon. Uh, and the week after, we're going to be back with a special guest, and we are doing a fucking massive episode. Um, we are going to be doing Scarface and Carlito's Way. Holy Ooh, shit. It's been, a, it's, it's been a long time. I, I always intended to wait until we played Carlito's Way on the big screen at our theater before we <laughs> but did now it, who I knows? to watch it that way, because I'm greedy, but who knows? And a guest uh, really wanted to bring them uh, both on because he is the number one Al Pacino fan. Um, and I've always wanted to make my case that Carlito's Way is the better movie. So uh, <laughs> prepare yourselves for that one. Correct opinion. Beautiful. Um, nice. <laughs> Chris is agreeing. I haven't seen it yet, this. so I, I I might be in that same boat. We'll see. That's one. The that difference is, is Car- Car- Carlito's way like like destroys my soul. Like it it may, it it moves me. Whereas uh, Scarface, I just have a really great time with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, we're gonna have a good time doing that in two weeks' time. Uh. But that being said, that'll wrap it up for everything this week. Thanks as always for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. <laughs>